Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, the third of our six Metal Gear 25th anniversary specials. Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of Liberty was perhaps the most keenly anticipated of the series and arguably divides fans more than any other. Joining me, Leon Cox, this time we have Tony Atkins. Hello. James Carter. Hello. And returning is Ready Up's Paul Rooney. Hello. Welcome everybody. So Metal Gear Solid 2 then. That's a bit mental. So, yes, we've already done two Metal Gear shows. This is the third. This one is set after the other games we've covered. Um, It's set in 2007 uh, to 2009. Um, Now, I'm sure a lot of people who have been gamers a while, uh, even some young young chaps will remember this, because this was only uh, 11 years ago, I guess. Um, There was a lot of hype for Metal Gear Solid 2 way more than there was for the previous games oh incredible it's hard to actually kind of put it into into context and although you know we've had stuff like halo hype and Mm. i guess you know the machine has certainly worked in in years since this but uh, obviously metal gear solid as we've you know as we've discussed was probably one of the best playstation one games one of the best games of the era so the hype for playstation of the playstation 2 exclusive metal gear solid 2 was legendary um helped by a couple of things um one one of the best trailers you're ever likely to see game trailers you're ever likely to see and two a demo on the zone of enders disc of course and the enders yeah uh was that i can't recall was that i never actually played more than a demo of zone of the enders game myself i'm still waiting for the hd collection but was that a section of the tanker level by any chance yes it was it was you know the first part of the tanker level yeah um in fact i mean we're going to obviously spoil this game um, yes clearly. say it now everything will be spoiled as ever on Kane and Rince and this is a game that can be spoiled so um, you could even argue that the, the demo itself was smoke and mirrors um, in the same way that Brutal Legend was you know it was being kind of brut- like Brutal Legend was here's this open world kind of rock and roll adventure game when really secretly underneath it had an RTS element to it which you know they conveniently wasn't really showing the public um, and Metal Gear Solid 2 doesn't have an RTS element no, just it like doesn't, to point but that it, out but, um, <laughs> to listeners who obviously the twist of, of Raiden um, 
just was nowhere to be seen. So you, you played the the opening section of Solid Snake on, on the tanker level. So people just assumed that that's what you were going to do. You're just going to be playing Solid Snake, and this was his adventure. Um, yeah, but of course, uh, this being uh, back in the days of magazines, although of course the internet was uh, starting to gain momentum, and, and indeed the game actually covers that in quite yeah. some depth and detail. Uh, the magazine reviews. Um, did this come out simultaneously worldwide to stop? Um, it, I, I don't remember it being like um, previous games where people were copying it and importing it. I'm not sure. But um, the magazine reviews came out way before the game. So as 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 with many gamers at the time, I would be buying sort of three or four, five, six different magazines a month. Um, and so I probably read four or five reviews of this before I actually played it. And so the whole, you actually spend most of the game as uh, as androgynous-looking, blonde-haired character <laughs> called Raiden was spoiled. And I think I do get the feeling that there was already a certain amount of... Uh, what I mean, these days it would be obviously Twitter ire and forum ranting, but then... Um, it was a sort of there was a general sense of consternation. Yeah, I mean, I, I've just um, checked actually, and it was first released in North America, thirteenth of November. Yeah. Then Japan, twenty ninth November. That was two thousand and one. Yeah. And EU didn't get it until March two thousand two. So there was ah, actually five. Very similar, there. right? Very similar to to Metal Gear Solid in that case. So pl- plenty of time for the the secret to be blown, if you like. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, but I don't remember... I think I probably avoided reading more in-depth than that. Uh, I'm guessing that knowing the way things worked back then, certain magazines, uh, UK magazines, would have been printing walkthroughs and stuff uh, for people who had imported it and to propagate hype. Uh, but... I do remember there being discussion about the whole Raiden thing long time before I actually got round to playing the game. It's also have to note because this was a PlayStation exclusive as well. Um, I remember Sony being absolutely fully behind this as a title. Um, they were kind of using it as their poster child for what the PlayStation Two could do. Uh, almost, yeah. you know, saying, "Well, you know, this isn't on the Dreamcast. This isn't on any other console. This is, you know, the true place where next-gen gaming is happening." And suddenly, if you you look at that trailer, you could suddenly feel like okay this is why I need this platform because these cinematic games are coming here yeah there were so many little touches and playing it now on the I played the HD collection on PlayStation 3 but I gather there's virtually nothing between the PS3 and Xbox 360 HD collections a lot of the little touches the little environmental things like the light changing your light getting um, your eyes getting used to the light when you come Mm -hmm. from outside to inside and um, weather effects weather effects your bandana blowing um, particle effects uh being able to smash melons and glasses all this stuff still looks pretty bang up to date you know compared to some other games you play there's a there's a real eye for detail and obviously the uh kojima's team were exploring after their first sort of steps into the worlds of of polygons and and stuff first person view and stuff now you can actually shoot in first person um but there's so much stuff so much detail has been added uh, the fact that the guards have radios which you can actually destroy while they're either holding them while they're on their belts um you can hold people up um there's now uh gripping and hanging and there's all they although as we will discuss this game is in many ways a retread of the previous adventure they've just added layer upon layer of little things which 
add up to become more than the sum of their parts. Yeah, and just to say that, I mean, the HD collection looks fantastic. It really does. The yeah. the opening cutscene, particularly, you just sit back and think, really, this was ten years ago they made this. More now, eleven, I guess, nearly. Can we just all agree and give Blue Point Games uh, the person <laughs> that's done the the kind of the conversion of this just the job of doing every HD conversion? Uh, I th- I've thought about this, and uh, and it's very tempting to to agree. Obviously, they are capable of doing a fantastic job, but one has to wonder. And without getting onto this as a whole separate topic, because we could probably do a show on it, uh, one has to wonder how much this is to do with time and budget. And you wonder if the much maligned Silent Hill HD compilation, which is like the other end of the spectrum of how to do an HD compilation or not, if the guys who did that had been given as much time and money, would they have been able to do as good a job as Bluepoint did? It's impossible to say. Quite possibly, but then these are classic games that should be shown some sort of respect, so they shouldn't just be kind of I agree. shat out. I mean, but that's not the team's fault necessarily as the no, publisher's fault. Not. So you could say that Konami were fully responsible for the quality of the Metal Gear Solid HD collection but equally fully irresponsible as regards to the Silent Hill collection or maybe um, I mean there is another aspect here which is it depends what you're working with because we've said that Kojima and his team put a lot of detail in detail that probably was in the game but could not be seen in the PlayStation 2 version just like Metal Gear Solid in the first case Mm. where what they were trying to do they were clearly limited by the technology they had at their disposal and so did actually some really impressive stuff with it I mean like you say wind effects um, just the, the sense of the fact that if you were actually playing this on PS2 you probably wouldn't notice some of the the stuff that's going on in terms of um, like say the bandana blowing and the hair movement and that sort of thing you might not be able to see it quite so clearly but on the HD collection it's all shown very clearly whereas with Silent Hill obviously the problem that everyone talks about is the fog if the fog's not there and you try and add it it might not actually be all that possible to do it effectively Silent Hill 2 and 3 both had fantastic PC versions as well that were mm. that would look fantastic on the, the new consoles yeah, and I think that the difference is you know um, Konami did a, whoever it was uh, did a fantastic job in Metal Gear Solid but um, whoever it was that did Silent Hill they, they ruined it I mean they didn't just do a, a poor translation you know they, they took things away and they ruined certain aspects of both games the fog is terrible but as well as the, the grime and detail the grittiness, if you will, of Silent Hill 3 has been completely cleaned up, so mm. not just technically have they missed the point, but artistically they completely missed the point. Yeah. Do we do we know if um, they actually done anything to the textures other than really kind of re-HD and up to date, add anything more in depth, or is it just literally kind of upgrading the, the high res the HD version of it? I think one of the key things that even in other decent HD compilations like uh, Devil May Cry and stuff um, is that the 2D assets tend to be the same ones whereas in this game they've redone all the typeset, the type faces and stuff so that they all look HD as well so uh, it doesn't have, the, the only thing that is still obviously of the last gen is the FMV intro sequence which is still amazing by the way and you'll have enjoyed the music uh, before we started speaking, the famous Harry Gregson Williams uh, rearrangement of as we've previously established, not his own tune but Tappy's tune of Konami um, but it looks like every single asset in the game has been given a significant amount of attention whether it's 
whether they went back to original um, assets that were created. Remember we when we interviewed Adam Capone on this show, he talked about uh, creating um, textures at a very, very high resolution and then having to have them compressed for actual release due to uh, processing capabilities and, and disk space. Maybe here they've gone back and got the original assets and just put them in as they were. Something like that. I don't know, but well, uh, again, there was a Windows version of of this for PC as well. There so was, yeah. That quite possibly at that stage had higher textures and mm. higher assets, and so yeah, the, the PlayStation Two was a very powerful machine. We yeah. know that so. it was for the time, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's um, there's one bit that I still remember that is inconsequential as it turns out, but uh, there's a bit where you first turn a corner and you see uh, the shadow of. Uh, Metal Gear Solid boss Vulcan Raven yeah. <laughs> uh, in your path mm-hmm. and uh, he, a snake actually stops and says Raven and then you turn around the corner and it's in fact a little Vulcan Raven toy so that's a bit of postmodernism <laughs> in in itself but if you if you actually interact with that by shooting it it then fires little BB bullets out of its uh, minigun and they just keep on coming and they react perfectly they interact perfectly with all the polygons around them eventually the game can no longer have more of these bb bullets on screen uh, and the earlier ones start to uh, dis- dissolve as the new ones come out but uh, it's still impressive even on ps3 like just as a as an attention to detail thing although who's making toys of a mercenary terrorist well indeed yes this is <laughs> and one why of the- is there one there yeah, and, and I, I was thinking on a similar but very different note, um, why no one's actually paying... Well, yes, we'll talk about that. <laughs> no one's paying any attention to Raiden at the end. Uh, so, shall we um, kick off, and obviously, just through in terms of time, this is a like a 13-hour game on normal... Uh, well, it was for me, anyway. It was, I guess, I think speed. you can probably speed run it on very easy in about 25 minutes if you skip all the cutscenes... <laughs> or if you play it on European Extreme and uh, avoid any kills or being caught, you're probably looking at about three years of your life. So uh, it's it's all things to all people, this game. But let's try and uh, go through some of the plot before we then discuss what it all fucking meant at the end. <laughs> I was going to actually say, did, uh, did everyone play this on, on day of release? Because yeah, I, I actually don't remember this. Um, apparently I played it and completed it the day after I brought it. According to my friend Paul, we were in some sort of a race to to completion, and I don't know why, but uh, somehow I've managed. To I've do spoken it to a lot of people who did hours. it who did it in one sitting. Uh, I yeah. certainly didn't do that, but no. uh, but yeah, I did. Uh, I played played it very near when it came right. out. I assume you're new to it, James, aren't you? Well, yes, yeah. But we've we've talked about the hype, and you can imagine, like a I don't know, a Harry Potter book for a, for a recent example. You can imagine people literally being there midnight launch, take it home, and li- and sit down and just play through it. Because if you're that excited about it, you want to make sure nothing's spoiled. You want to make sure you experience it on your own terms and as quickly as possible. So, I can certainly understand that. I did that with Halo Two in one sitting. Mm. Never okay. got out of the chair. Dis- also, a disappointing <laughs> campaign. Yeah, uh, it was. Yeah. Paul, what about you? Were you there? I, at the time when it came out, I really, I don't know why, but I just couldn't care less about it. I don't know whether it was the hype or, that's or weird. whatever. Oh, it that's, was, it was at yeah. least about, I'd say at least four years after it came out that I actually uh, went back wow. to play it. Um, I don't know, what, I think one of my friends had just said it's just, it's pretty much the same story as the first game. And at hmm. the time, I think I'd, I think I'd just left sort school of. and started uni and I was, you know, really partying something rotten, so... 
Women and beer, yes. Women and beer, exactly. That was that was my life for a good few years, and then yeah. I came back to gaming, you know, and started playing things like Final Fantasy Ten, I think it was, and Metal Gear Solid Two and stuff like that. So, although I did get a PS Two the day it came out and a whole bunch of games, I didn't really start playing again mm. until like two, three years after. University. That's interesting, as you were as you were such a fan of uh, Metal Gear Solid, as we discussed on the previous show. Yeah, absolutely. I adored that game. I loved every second of it, but I have no idea why. I do this from time to time. I just I leave <laughs> things... Because I like knowing they're there, you know? It's always yeah. going to be there. And I like knowing there's a bona fide, fantastic game that I can always go back to, which is why I left 3 and left 4 for for a long while after they came out. Right. I wanted the timing to be right, and I wanted to experience that, you know, drink it in and give it all my time. So I was never in a mad rush to go out and get it day one. But I did yeah. sit down and enjoy every second. It also has to be said that this is the the HD. Well, we're reviewing the HD version, I guess. But um, it's that's the subsistence collection, isn't it? It's the later one they released. It is, yeah. But um, that doesn't make a huge amount of difference to the main game. It's more to do with all the extras you get. Yeah, skateboarding, substance. Just to, <laughs> substance, just to clarify, substance, substance, yeah, substance, subsistence. Yes. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Good call. Uh, yeah, it's not like there's a fundamental difference between the single-player games, although I think possibly in the original um, release, which I had pre-substance, uh, you couldn't initially select cha- the chapter, whereas you can in the HD collection and substance. So uh, tanker plant or tanker plant is not an option in the original release, I wouldn't imagine. Cause oh, right. well, I mean, that, that, ma- that makes sense, because some people would want to jump straight to one or the other, potentially. Yeah. Yeah, I could be wrong about that. That's that's my that's my memory. Well, that, anyway. I mean, that's in, in keeping. We'll talk or you'll talk about this next time on uh, on MGS three. They did actually make some changes to the the campaign, as I understand it. But the significant is, camera changes. Yeah, the, but there's also a selection at the beginning for you to pick which of the games you like. And obviously, if you've never played MGS three before, then you wouldn't be picking I like MGS three. you know, because <laughs> the, the idea is it does make some changes to. Um, to I think some of the things that happen, the way things happen, and and some unlockables you get, but obviously the idea is that you've already played through all three of them, yeah. and you choose which one you prefer. Mm. Anyway, that's for another time. Yes, we'll save that one. So uh, as it starts off, the Hudson River two years ago, uh, and there's uh, a large chunk of that astonishing opening scene where uh, Snake discards a coat and a cigarette and. Uh, using some kind of stealth camouflage uh, as we've seen in the previous games uh, repels down onto a tanker Uh, we we learned that he's part of an anti-Metal Gear group now he's no longer part of Foxhound he's part of the uh, philanthropy organisation along with Hal Emmerich, Otacon and they are here to uh, prove the existence of a new Metal Gear and we launched straight into some clunky exposition there. I actually, I couldn't help myself but make a note of the exact line that you just referenced that Otacon says, which is, um, Snake says he has, or they've discussed the fact that he has to try not to harm anyone, uh, and Snake's sort of lamenting that it was different in Foxhound days, and Otacon's response is, you're with philanthropy now, the anti-Metal Gear organisation recognised by the UN. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, okay, we need to know that, but that is... <laughs> There, are, there, there's a lot of that, uh, yeah. yeah, clunky delivery of, of very, exposition. Very, very clunky, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's a weakness. Um, they get a tip off, don't they, from EE, an anonymous tip off, or a, um, 
Otacon gets yeah. about uh, the existence of Metal Gear being on the, right. the SS Discovery. Mm. Uh, and they can tell by the clever method of that the boat is too low in the water, so, <laughs> so it's got something heavy in it. Yeah. Um, so uh, at this point, the uh, sh- the tanker is only armed by your friendly local uh, or staffed by your friendly local American Marines. So uh, you're just trying to get in and get out, not be seen, not hurt anyone, and so on. But then it just so happens, inconveniently or conveniently, or is it all planned? As soon as Snake gets on the boat, uh, a, a load of Russians turn up with a General Galukovich and uh, and a load of troops and Olga, her Galukovich's daughter, uh, and uh, and we see we also see at this point um, one revolver ocelot floating by uh, floating by no <laughs> his helicopter is still airborne uh, yeah so we know that uh, something's up. Um, Snake makes his way into the bowels of the Discovery and uh, Otacon suggests that maybe it would be a good idea to take some photographs of the uh, Metal Gear Ray which, let's say, uh, let's, let's say this right now Metal Gear Ray looks fucking awesome um, that's a really cool Metal Gear and amphibious metal gear. Amphibious metal gear with a bird-like face, and oh yeah, I just I really love the design of that thing. It's so cool. Um, uh, that perhaps the Marines shouldn't have put their badge all this, all over it if they didn't want people to. Yeah, uh, it's a super secret anti-metal gear metal gear. Maybe it might have been better not to advertise. It's all about the honour. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you do some photography, and uh, which there's some quite cool secrets here, such as if you photograph the one marine in the first there's like three rooms full of marines watching uh watching a, a movie uh, or watching a speech from uh the the senior naval officer about what why they're what they're there for why they're doing it and so on and so forth um yeah it's uh, it's supposed to be it's yet another metal gear that's kind of yeah as you say it's supposed to counteract other metal gears so make the world a safer place um, there's one marine who when you look down is uh, not wearing his uh, combat issue slacks so he's wearing his boxer shorts if you then photograph this and go uh, two rooms forward every marine in that room is now wearing stripy boxer shorts and no combats and you can upload the picture that you took of the uh, the, the one marine in his boxer shorts and Otacon uh, wets himself laughing, <laughs> and there's an achievement to stroke. There's, a, there's also some um, some other tricks you can you can do to get Otacon to react to you over the codec as well. Uh, yeah, photograph uh, Olga's um, see-through top. Uh, yeah, you you can also stare at one of the pictures on the inside of the lockers for too long, and then call him, and he chastises you for uh, distracting yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. And and it's Snake's face indicates that perhaps he's been up to something. What looking at that picture? <laughs> you can also take a picture of a hunky man on front of uh, on the side of a door locker. Which once you upload, he says, "Well, if that's the way you swing, Snake, that's cool. But uh, you know, whatever your choice is, that's okay by me." That's pretty sure. Bizarre. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would, uh, probably worth saying also that uh, the first boss fight comes in this section, um, and that's Olga. Uh, and if you only have a stun gun at this point. Uh, the M9. Uh, you can't kill her um, because if you did, it would ruin the game. And also, uh, it's her uh, pistol that you get, and then you can start 
deciding whether to kill people or just stun them. And she's carrying child, which you don't know at that point, but then that would make for a horrible... Yeah, it's revealed quite... Uh, Actually, yeah, you do. Yeah, I think you do, because Galukovic says, you know, you, you know you've got my yeah. grandchild in there sort of thing. Um, and this becomes relevant again in mm-hmm. part two. So, uh, once Snake has uploaded the pictures of the Metal Gear, uh, Shalashaska, or Revolver Ocelot, uh, turns up, and I think he pretty much says that he's working on the behalf of the Patriots, a.k.a. the Lali Lule Lo, which are a... What's the word? <laughs> Clandestine organisation who control everything, or control everything in America anyway. It does seem to be sort of specific to the US. It's not like... It's not like the Illuminati who control everything in the world. The Patriots seem to be all about the states. Am I am I right with that? Yeah, bang on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's alluded that way, but it surely would never work. But control yes. world events by controlling the states. Yeah. I think that's a because, because the United States is such a, a powerful country. They have, they have such they have a strong effect all over the world. I mean, they've obviously got uh, Russians working for them and. Uh, and Americans, so they yeah, have they're playing a lot of pies, playing the whole world, yes, and creating the future and creating history and and stuff. These are, yeah, I, I'm not sure if we learned this at this point, but these are a supposedly a, a council, the, the the council of Wiseman or Wiseman Council of twelve people mm-hmm. um, who are more powerful than the president. The president is just a puppet, and so on yeah. and so forth. So, so if I'm right, I mean, th- I think this is a, a point that will carry on throughout this game and actually throughout the series in some respect, but. Their their explanation of that is basically that the world to them is almost not like the Matrix, although we're not in a completely different reality. But what they're being fed as media is is fully controlled by them. So it's almost like the Truman Show effect that they have no idea what's going on. Yeah. Uh, they just believe their lives are their lives when actually what's happening is that all this stuff is being regulated through a body, and the body is putting out exactly the message which they want, even you know, in the net is a threat to that precisely yes yeah. so i mean th- this is obviously this is a you know a real theory that some conspiracy theorists harbor uh it's been around for as long as there have been people perhaps there mm-hmm. perhaps politicians um it's not a it's not so, not an idea i subscribe to but uh i think there are there are as with all good theories there are probably the germs of truths within it um certainly uh you know well, the, the idea of media control and stuff is, it, and and certainly in in some states, some parts of the world more than others, it it definitely happens. Obviously, China, I, Korea, yeah. places like that. I certainly think it it rings true if you look through history of you know of, well, the, the entire history of the human race. I mean, if you even look at religion, it's you know fundamentally a way of controlling people into believing that there's a you know if you do something evil, there there is evil that greet you. So and, I, and you know, if you look at the you know papers and books and stuff was uh, the media that most people consumed and it was fed to them by organisations. Then if you had one foot in the door in those, all those organisations, even if they didn't know, then you could ultimately um, change what people were receiving without letting them you know actually them knowing uh, or, or, or change you can the certainly subtly influence and and yes. we see that in uh, before you start the game there are a series of uh, articles you can read. I think there's three of them. The first one's uh, around 10 pages long, the next one's around 100, and then the last one's about 500 pages long. 
Yeah, it's um, three retellings of the Shadow Moses incident. Yeah, basically mm-hmm. by in in more more depth and from different perspectives. Yeah, and what you start to realise, and then at the end of the Tanker chapter as well, uh, or w- once you get into the Plant chapter, Snake says, what happens is that the truth gets out, but the Patriots are so powerful they twist the story and turn it to their own uses, and suddenly Snake goes from. Uh, you know the, the hero revealing the truth to the the terrorist um, who is but at the centre of it. So. I, I like that. I, I do like the idea that the the, the thing that concerns them, and, and I think this is actually proven. Um, obviously, this game came out when the the net had already taken up and and was being used. But if you look where we are now with the internet and how public opinion is you know swayed more by uh, articles on twitter and Absolutely. online sites yeah. rather than you know newspapers which you know are, are one or two or three sometimes a week late on the news that are being delivered and you know the people have already made their minds up you know it can be just you or me that finds something we post it on whatever social network it spreads around the country and there is no control on that message being delivered i think that's uh, that's yeah i mean as far as we know there's no control but we could be being Sub- subjugated in more subtle <laughs> yeah. and insidious uh, 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 ways than we actually understand. But yes, I mean, I think in some ways, this, th- I think this is the most interesting idea. The idea of, mm-hmm. of a a grand conspiracy is something that's been done before. But yes, the idea that in the early 2000s and probably before that, Kojima was thinking about where the internet might go with, in terms of giving a voice to you know the little man which it you know definitely in the last few years we've seen a lot of you know even if it's for really small inconsequential things or seemingly mm-hmm. uh like you know save six music or something like that this this does have an effect now and uh mm-hmm. y- yeah you should definitely say that he was uh he was, Foresight was great. somewhat visionary yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh so we're just about at the point in the game where things start to get pretty uh, crazy because um, Ocelot uh, kills his Russian colonel Galukovich and uh, and all the troops with uh, with his gun he detonates the Semtex uh, that's planted on the tanker and uh, this is the point where we discover that Ocelot's arm that we saw sliced off in Metal Gear Solid by Grey Fox is in fact Liquid Snake's arm not only that, but it can take over <laughs> and completely become Liquid Snake in Ocelot form. Okay, I'm going to keep this brief. Yes. I had problems with the genetics in the last game. <laughs> this is so much worse. Mm. This is like those stories of someone who has a liver transplant and then takes up knitting and then starts trying to sue someone. It is so bananas. It is ridiculous. <laughs> and what's more, I actually want Ocelot to be the villain of these games. Because he's such an interesting character and such a counterpoint to Snake. Mm. Liquid just seems like a pantomime villain to me, and yeah. his screeching voice when it comes out is just, oh, can it be Ocelot, please? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it, it, biologically absolute garbage. But, you know, there's plenty of characters who have supernatural uh, abilities, and, and I suppose the idea is that uh, both snakes, or all three snakes, we haven't quite got there yet, but have been so genetically manipulated that perhaps their genes could do something different. Maybe. Uh, yeah, so we're at the end of the, the, the tanker section, um, and I think you know people having played that demo uh, would have been thinking, right, so now, now what are we going to be getting up to with Solid Snake? Um, what? Let's, uh, let's actually, because of the way this pans out, let's actually 
sort of sum up our own feelings on the section separately. So, uh, what did you think of the uh, the tanker section, Paul Rooney? I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was I thought it was a really nice setup for the main game, but in and of itself, it was it, it felt a, a wee bit too short. And I was mm. at that point, I was in the mood, you know, just to to play as Snake at that point, but. At the end, when you know Ocelot stole uh, Metal Gear Ray, yes, he jumped. He jumped into the water and took that back. I can't remember where he took it actually. And then uh, straight down, I think, based yeah, on what happens later in the story. Yeah, that's right. And then they blew up the tanker, obviously. And then the Patriots sent uh, a real oil tanker there and sank that, yep. created yep. a big oil spill, and in so doing, framed uh, Snake and Ocelot. So the the Patriots basically wanted wanted the uh, Metal Gear and wanted to get rid of the philanthropists, and then you know what happened. But all that as a setup, I, I enjoyed playing through it, but it, it did kind of it, it sits weirdly with me, and I really, to be honest, I don't know why. I think the uh, the uh, yeah, there's a lot of. Um, <laughs> People find the the second section of the game on Big Shell. Uh, there's a lot of talk, and we'll see it. We'll hear it in our three word reviews and uh, in our comments from the forum that people really don't like Big Shell. But I think, and I, and I think as as much as anything, that's after the contrast of the fantastic setting that is a tanker in a storm Absolutely. on a river. Because I mean, one thing I wanted to say when you were talking about the graphics, about the, the PS2 era and the tanker, the sense of wetness. Yeah, you know, it was something that apparently, you know, in the Matrix, they had spent hundreds of thousands of pounds creating these shower heads to create these massive globules of water to create this sense of just dripping wet, which was actually mm-hmm. taken pretty much almost take for take, ripped off from an old Chinese movie. But regardless, <laughs> um, that's what they did, right? Um, and they did something similar and at that point and it just felt absolutely dripping wet it's, yep. it was soaking the sea was rising the tanker was was moving dramatically yep. you know as you as you mentioned before the rain on the, on the camera and stuff like that and the wind it was just absolutely torrential great and sound too of brilliant. course yeah, crucial. It, was, it was mostly the sound yeah it, it was what I'm going to get on to talk about in the shell but as well they did this similarly with sound it was a sense of epic scale and wind whistling through the place and stuff like that uh, the sound is very important in that as well and it just felt so atmospheric and as I said just dripping and I'd never seen anything like that you know in a game and I'd played it two, three, four years after it came out so mm. it, it was and the lighting as well it was just amazing Yeah. yeah. and then going if you want to talk about in contrast to the shell the shell is, is really quite ugly you know they've got that, that weird colour palette of this really mm. horrible orangey terracotta non-colour yeah. throughout it and it's it's visually it's just not appealing whatsoever I don't know whether that was intentional or not but the, the two maybe it didn't sit right with me because the two felt like two very disparate games yeah. made for different reasons maybe even by a different kind of MO you know a different kind of objective so they just felt two completely different experiences yeah to to pick up where you left there Paul actually I think the the tanker section really feels like a Metal Gear like obviously without knowing what would happen thereafter coming from Metal Gear Solid 
um, on the PlayStation One, and even going all the way back to you know the previous Metal Gear games. I think that tanker se- section felt everything like you were expecting Metal Gear Solid Two to be. Absolutely. Um, from those previous games, so it had atmosphere, it had great cinematography. Um, it dramatic had funny ideas, yeah, well. dramatic cameras, funny ideas. Um, like as you work, you know, if you're going through that that section where um, the film is is being played and, and the soldiers moving left to right and you're having to navigate so they don't actually see you or even ducking underneath the camera so you, you don't walk in front of it. Manipulate the projectors as well. Yeah, so in the, in the obviously Otacom was there, so it felt like just this great continuation. So the atmosphere was spot on, um, and then obviously with you know, rock the, from under your feet type thing. Yeah. And, and which is essentially what he wanted to do. Absolutely, but, um, yeah. I'm glad he um, did, you know, but it, I would have loved to play the whole game of the the tanker type. Well, thing. I did, but it it feels like a fitting tribute of what he thought his fans would actually want from that game before he does his his one. You you could almost say his wonderful kind of like Kojima trick and actually you know um, almost smoke and mirrors mm-hmm. technique. Um, so yeah, I, I I think it's everything I wanted from a Metal Gear Solid Two game, uh, if that makes sense. Before it Absolutely. kind of turned into something different, and it also serves as a primer and a tutorial, and it shows off mm-hmm. the new things like being able to both use shadows and spot them, and the the enemies can now use blood trails to pick you up, and so all this stuff that wasn't mm. possible realistically. Character on the in the PS1. bosses, yeah, yeah. The Metal Gear is awesome, and kind of all you know, it's almost like a, a full Metal Gear game, you know, pushed down into what an hour and a half, two hour section. Yeah. James, what about you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, the, the intro I loved. Um, the tanker felt very much um, like the start of Metal Gear Solid One, infiltrating the base. Um, and I think what he decided to do in in, um, in the first game, obviously, Shadow Moses Island has to kind of be all things. You know, Psychomantis's um, room where you fight him is this very sort of ornate, uh, luxurious office. Um, and around it the corridors are sort of orange lit with with pictures and it feels a little bit out of place from a lot of the other areas you go in Shadow Mm. Moses and and many of the different areas feel very different from one another maybe not quite fitting together whereas the tanker here is a tanker everything that's on the tanker makes sense and you are literally moving your way through it Um, and yeah it just it it really, really fits together uh, well, and like you say, they've they've taken the first game's gameplay and allowed you to just get used to it again, used it as a tutorial, and it's got a really nice narrative to it, um, where from moment one, things start going wrong for Snake, and the writing's kind of on the wall for him, but he's a man, he's got a job to do, you know, he goes and does it, and despite his best efforts, uh, is, is foiled, essentially. Um, you know, Ocelot gets the upper hand, and it's got a really, really nice uh, sort of downbeat, almost noirish feel to it. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, just the aesthetics of Big Shell don't fit with that at all. And and Raiden as a character doesn't fit with that downbeat uh, snake. That that sort of that man against adversity feel. I don't know. I just didn't get it from the the second part. That's not to say there's not a lot of interesting stuff going on in Big Shell, but the tanker just feels. More rounded an experience, I think. Before we jump on to this, the second half of the game, it, it's interesting to, I mean, doing further reading about this and, and you know, listening to actually Kojima interviews, in fact, um, how that he approaches every single Metal Gear game like it's going to be his last. 
So, I mean, he never planned to make a Metal Gear Solid 3. He never planned, to, certainly never planned to make a Metal Gear Solid 4. In fact, if he thought if anything was going to happen with inside the Metal Gear franchise, it certainly wasn't going to be him directing it. It would be some sort of offshoot series. Mm. So it's interesting to kind of view, you know, where he goes with Metal Gear Solid 2 at the end, knowing that he thought this was going to be his very last, you know, game within this franchise because he almost gets the best of both worlds. He kind of, mm. you know, does the smoke and mirrors on the players, but also has that, well, this what, you know, Metal Gear, like you know it could be or know what it has been from previous generations could look like, but here's a new take. So it's interesting if you look at that game from this would be his last game. Indeed. So uh, we actually do see, uh, do we see sort of Solid Snake disappear in the swell at the end of uh, Tanker? Pretty much, or we just lose we lose sight of him in the water. Does anyone really believe he's died, though? Come on. No, but uh, but that's yeah. At that, this well, point, that's certainly what Ocelot believes at that point. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He reveals yeah. later. So, yeah. And uh, yeah, there are there is evidence, or there, yeah, there becomes evidence that, according uh, as far as the wider world knows, uh, he's dead. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, so. Next thing, uh, same location. We see, uh, we start. I can't remember. What's do you see? The first shot is through his first. Is it first person coming out of mm-hmm. the, coming out of the water in a similar way to how Solid Snake does in Metal Gear Solid? Only this yeah, time, it's a, mask. yeah. yeah. Uh, only he's got this kind of skull-like mask. Um, as Snake, you come out of a pool into a into a room, and Campbell's on the codex, and uh, Foxhound is mentioned, and he's being called Snake. Uh, he's told that uh, a terrorist group called Dead Cell won thirty billion dollars because they have President Johnson. Um, I suppose we should explain why Big Shell's there. We sort of alluded to it because that tanker that was sunk to mask the Metal Gear Ray carrying tanker was an oil tanker and Big Shell is a, a kind of large well it's an ostensibly decontamination yeah. facility yeah. that's right yeah so it's they've, processing the the water yeah they've ring fenced the spill and and whether there actually was any form of spill or not is entirely at the patriots whim to make up the story i think but they've yeah. they've put this decontamination facility there as a as a front essentially although at this point we don't know that yeah, and uh, the terrorists are threatening to uh, to blow Big Shell up, which would mm-hmm. create an environmental disaster, the scale of which had never been seen, unprecedented. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, Snake's mission, who is almost immediately, uh, they say he's not called Snake after all, and in fact he's known as Raiden. I'm not even sure what the point of the Snake bit at the start is, just to fool See, the player. Well, that's the weird thing, because I'd, I'd heard that about this game. I'd heard that... Everyone thought they were going to play as Snake, and it turns out they were playing as Raiden. And what I assumed was that Kojima, in one, out, pulled out of one of his uh, bag of tricks, he would he would let you think for a good half of the game, if not more, mm. that you were playing as Snake. But mm. the first time you're not playing as Snake, there's blonde hair at the bottom of your mask, yeah, and suddenly you're called Raiden, and very quickly that and his voice is clearly different, yeah, even though he's putting on a slightly gruff. Snake was the name of a ranking in Foxhound. Yeah, that was the mm-hmm. name that ah, certain, good call. Uh, soldiers were all given. Right. Yes. So, so he stopped yeah. using that because obviously oh, yeah. Foxhound had disbanded uh, two odd years ago. So he decided to maybe it was a glitch in the system. Who knows? Yeah. But quickly, yeah. Colonel Campbell says, uh, "We're not going to use Snake anymore. We'll change over to Raiden." Um, 
And I'd expected that to come much later. In all honesty, I thought it would be it would have been really neat to let the player think for a good long while that you were playing as someone, and then demask and mm. reveal the truth. Um, Not sure how they would have approached that in terms of would they have used David Hater? David Hater, yeah. Well, there was a fact to, I suppose. Yeah. Because yeah. it's quickly apparent. Um, so the guy who plays uh, Ryden is Quinton Flynn, an extremely experienced voice actor. But one of the many complaints about from players who dislike playing as Raiden it's not so much the idea that they're not playing as the legendary mullet of Solid Snake <laughs> but they are playing as a guy with a really annoying voice uh, is that a problem? Not at all that no. really bugs me, I think it is the fact that they're not playing as Solid Snake and they're just saying that Okay, he, he can be quite annoying at certain points he's, he's downright whingy but if you actually if you pay attention to his kind of arc, his progression, his doubts, it is very emo. A lot of the characters get quite emo at that point. But mm-hmm. um, I'll come to this maybe later. But he there's a lot of character development within Raiden, a lot of changes, oh, yeah. and there's there's tales being alluded to, or there's yeah. a story being alluded to of maturing and coming of age and, and questioning authority and all that kind of stuff. And he does all that. Um, I think the voice acting isn't top notch by Quentin Flynn. I know he's very he's very good, but there's some seriously bad writing yeah. and some really ropey voice acting. I'm really intrigued to know because I'm really intrigued to know how much of the problems that we are we are probably going to talk about as in terms of the dialogue and the acting, how much of it is the Western version that's at fault? Were the was is the translation at fault? Is uh, were the original voice actors better at delivering those lines where they're given better lines to deliver is part of the problem the localization yes, I think it's a localization for, for I, sure yeah. I would even go further is that I don't think it's any of those I think it's the game actually knowing what it, it kind of is um, it's hard to not to actually talk about this stuff without kind of you know alluding to the end and, and what happens in the end but I think it's the game actually being more self-aware than the player actually believes at this point um, I think some of the some of the bad dialogue is entirely intentional, rather than just you know bad translation or mm. uh, bad voice acting. There's, there's one specific bit that will come maybe come to later, where it's a it's a horrendous line. It's one of the worst in any games I've ever I've ever played. What, nerd or node? That's really or bad. Nerd or nerd. Oh god, nerd. that was terrible. <laughs> but no, there's one where it's it's quite kind of iconic, where he says, "I've got Emma Emmerich. We've managed to avoid drowning." No actor can deliver that line properly. No, that I, is, I think it's I think it's woeful true. translation, localization. It would be easier to believe your your you know to give them the benefit of the doubt and have your faith, Tony, if it wasn't for the fact that some of the voice performances are really good. Yeah. Uh, well, talking the, about some of the the enemy bosses and stuff, Fortune, Maragale, and Phil Lamar as Vamp, who is Hermes in Future Armor. So would not, you believe? I don't think we're talking. I think it's we need to. Uh, point out a difference between intentionally camp and self-aware and just straight up clumsy dialogue yeah. and there are yeah. just instances of really badly written bits but there, there are there is brilliant campy dialogue from Vamp and, yeah. and people like that here's what I mean I think um, Raiden oh well you know, Raiden Raiden whichever way you Raiden Raiden um, he, he's in, in extremely naive mm-hmm. um, and you could argue there's certainly reasons at the back end of the game why why that could be but he comes into this situation and as a player you don't really understand you know why you would be playing this game for instance um you know 
all your training has been on VR. 300 virtual reality missions, which are, of course, start, meant to be the ones that are included in the game. Remember, he's like, oh, I, I'm very cocky, and Snake and Solid Snake shoots him down, and he keeps backing up, saying, you know what, the virtual uh, VR training has this, it has pain uh, processes or whatever, and he mm. keeps trying to put himself up, be quite cocky, and Snake just shoots him down there and then, mm. and that's where you start to see the, the build-up the rebuilding, if you will, of a of a, a semblance of a, a more uh, well-rounded character. Well, and also he's he's being played by every organisation out yeah. there at this point. Mm-hmm. So they need somebody who's entirely um, impressionable yeah. for them to do their willing on him. So quite often plot points which are clearly obvious to the player. Uh, you know, Raiden doesn't have any idea what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. Um, such stuff as you know, um, they, they've never put him through um, day. Uh, uh, nighttime training. He's only ever done daylight training. It's like you you wouldn't send this operative that has done like none of these yeah, major things. And they wouldn't, which of course, because we learn later on that none of this is true. Well, yeah, I mean that's <laughs> op- open to interpretation is is one way to look at it. But yeah, you could argue that essentially this entire second act of the game could in fact be that the player himself, the pl- the person actually on the controller, is actually just playing one huge VR mission, mm-hmm. and none of this actually exists. Well, yeah, that that also comes up early, but the... Sword 4. No, and also, well, I'm talking it, about the fact that later in the game, Solidus reveals that, uh, in fact, Raiden Jack has had uh, plenty of real-life experiences, just that he's pretty much blocked it out of his mind because of yeah. trauma. But here we go, it doesn't explain Metal Gear Solid 4, but back to my earlier point, there was never meant to be in Metal Gear Solid 4. So a lot of these ideas that Mm. you actually see in Metal Gear Solid 2 are actually just meant to be, you know, canon in in fact that. And and bear in mind when he he goes back to Metal Gear Solid 3, there is no mention of anything obviously in the future. And all that, it was just a dream type thing. It was was Gur back then, wasn't it? It was very kind of... Um, but um, and apparently the only reason the Metal Gear Solid Four came came about was because so many people after Metal Gear Solid Three still felt felt that there were so many loose ends um, left from Metal Gear Solid Two, which essentially was the sense. the finish of mm. it. So mm. that's when he decided to actually kind of change the fact that it wasn't. I mean, okay, let's let's get straight to the end here because mm-hmm. um, I think this makes the rest of the game have some sort of context to it. Mm. So right at the back end of the game, after the is it Solidus mm-hmm. fight? Yeah. Solidus um, fight. The player basically is, is up to here, the, up to the player to decide of what whether they've been playing in that second half is reality or not. So one way to interpret it is yeah, anybody. Well, obviously, you know, hopefully people have seen Inception because it's a great film. But Inception is all about you know that reality state, whether you know you're in reality or not, and what is reality. Um, but the end of that that film. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio spins a, like a spinning wheel and ultimately if that comes to rest I think that just tells him whether he's in reality or not mm. but he, as a as a character he decides to walk away and, and allow that to continue spinning so for him um, it's basically he's already decided that the place that he is in is reality he actually doesn't need the confirmation because maybe he doesn't want to even admit that you know that could be a, an option that he's not Raiden does much the same thing he chooses at the very end of that game that the events that have Past can be classed as reality. Yeah, that the uh, oh no, what's his assist? The the woman he gets is it Rose? Rose, yeah. Rose, Rose is pregnant, and they're going to go on to have a child. Um, and that the end of that game is entirely canon to him. But that ultimately is could have been up to up to the player. You could have decided at that point that that was true or not. It wasn't until Metal Gear Solid Four that took that canon and said, okay, 
that is actually fact you know that is this was actually an exercise that actually happened but up until you know back in what 2002 we're talking here yeah um you know this was all completely subjective it it could have been it couldn't have been so and the it really did happen uh version of events doesn't explain why he has your name on his dog tags which he throws away once again he throws away but he but it's there it's there you know we're Mm -hmm. looking at it but, but to go back to where I'm getting from, I, I think, like, at the time, I think Kojima would have probably been a bit more happy with the fact that what actually has been participating is that you've played this VR mission. And some of the, almost like the dialogue was inconsequential to the actual mission itself. It mm-hmm. was almost about uh, the actions that you took. So, you, for, for instance, how you, you know, they talk about how you managed to deal with Fat Man. Like, that could have been the end of that VR mission if you didn't manage to kill Fat Man yeah. in, in that mm. uh, in that version of reality. So they make a lot of reference about that this actually isn't happening, but you managed to keep succeeding in tasks that are thrown you. Now, the only bug in the system is that whether this be a dream or whether this be the um, a, a virus that enters this part of the VR training exercise is that Snake is there and Snake is this uncontrolled thing which they didn't allow for so he's the one that's basically causing Raiden to go off the rails he's for the, the entire rest of this game he's the wild card the thing yeah. that they can't allow for see, now all that is cool and without that I think the main like seven hours of game you play is actually really really ropey without all that context put on top of it it's strange because that's never playing this not once did it cross my mind that this was a VR mission or was a dream <clears throat> what I took the final events to be and this might be because I know what happens in MGS4 uh, so, mm. but mm-hmm. what I took it to be was this was an elaborate stage show that the Patriots were trying to see if they could control circumstances by using information fed through the internet to dictate actions and so what they did was they set up Big Shell and put Raiden in the mix and then manipulated Dead Cell, manipulated two presidents into behaving a certain way to see if they could control, in this small, sort of microcosm, see if they could control the events. And the spanner in the works was that Snake showed up. I took it to be a very literal, very real thing that was happening, but it was kind of a, a stage show according to the script of The Patriots. That's why they, they've kind of isolated the events, you know, one on a tanker, yeah, one on That's the big shell, you know, completely, separate, yeah. completely controllable of, of who goes in and when. Absolutely, that, that makes perfect sense as well. Uh, sort of, yeah, it's it's difficult because I still want to sort of go through the bits of the story, go but it, obviously yeah, we have that context knowing that, but you have to imagine that you're playing it for the first time, mm-hmm. but also I know a lot of, this is a game that a lot of people have replayed it, some people have replayed this game people who didn't even like it but they still wanted to play it again to see if they why they didn't like it or if they really didn't like it and yeah I've uh, it's been interesting having discussions with people about their experience with this game because it it seems to be uh, we all virtually every game we talk about we describe as divisive because they all are at the end of the day um but this one really is probably the uh the apex of that
so Jack uh, Ryden Snake first we know him as Snake then we find out then we then his code name is changed to Ryden then we find out that his name is Jack and at this point Campbell springs the fact that the cooperative this time who helps you save your game and gives you useful advice is Rose his girlfriend great idea and, and I think she and the interaction they have is a big reason why people don't like Raiden personally because it, it yeah. was grating on me quite a bit and I know other people have felt that way so um, yeah. I, I think it's one of those things that as as Paul you were saying it all seems a bit emo it all seems very emotionally tense between the two of them and with it Snake does. it does feel I mean we've talked about in the previous games Snake feels like a guy who either because he can't or because he's not interested doesn't engage on that kind of emotional level he feels much stronger it's essentially yeah. emotionally yeah. stronger you know like the, the grizzled veteran yeah, whereas yeah. you know Jack, uh, Raiden comes along very emo and I, I, I must say I do really like Raiden it's probably because he reminds me of me quite a lot because that, <laughs> that is really how I'm like, like moaning and lovelorn and all that nonsense you know why is everything so bad oh god I th- but I can understand why people don't like them probably why people don't like me as well because you know just a real big moany girl's blouse, you know, a big effect. Well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, not gonna agree. But I'm just what I'll insult myself first before you do. But but it is weird to look at this game in, in two different lights and contexts because ultimately, you, you know, you, towards the end of the back end of that game, um, oh, was it Rose and uh, the Colonel. That they, you know, they, they, you could argue they're computer simulations, so they're actually kind of like this AI form which are, have been given directions given by the program. Um, so, like, as you, because you hear that their kind of voice starts to deteriorate and becomes a lot more kind of mechanical um, rather than just you know human voices. Um, so, you could argue that 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 is like an AI delivering these lines, so basically testing um, riding out on the field, like you know, because they know that Snake. Although you know he had some sort of compassion actually in in the other Metal Gear games, so you know if we take Snake as the perfect warrior because he he ultimately got through this stuff, so that they could be testing Raiden with you know the ultimate love because let's face it, it's sickly the way they act and It is true that when uh, Campbell and Rose reveal themselves as an a- AI patriot construct in well an organic, and not they're not a construct because they actually kind of created themselves out of what they describe as a virtual mm-hmm. primordial soup um when the, when they're talking at that point at the end of the game their dialogue is much more free-flowing smooth natural and engaging rather than awkward and cloying like it is um i i wonder if kojima's actually saying something here about obviously when he made the metal gear games on the msx that dialogue that was shared between Campbell and Big Boss and Snake in those games, that was the dialogue of video games of the day. It was short and soundbitey and brief and highly influenced by uh, action movies and the medium was in its infancy and they had no idea they hadn't really thought to try and sort of advance this stuff, not in these kinds of games anyway I mean there were there were more intelligent games going on on, on home computers and stuff but when when Japanese companies like Konami were making a game like Metal Gear, although there, as we know, because we've covered them, there were some clever ideas in there, things like the dialogue, that was just how it was then. Mm-hmm. It was naive and it was, yeah, just clumsy and, and basic and, and it was aimed at a younger audience as well. So I wonder if this whole arc where 
you're, you're actually convincing me, Tony, that maybe there is something that the dialogue between Campbell and Rose and, and Jack is almost a comment on the evolution of the medium of video games. Well, yeah, I mean, if you look at it, uh, I don't want to persuade any, anyone into believing anything, but if you look at it in a way that... Um, Kojima if, does. Yeah, what it, if you're playing a simulation of something, it's clear towards the back end of that game that the, like, Raiden himself, or you could even argue that he is an AI con- construct himself, before we know what happened before, um, because, you know, they need to tie all these loose aspects up, but he, he starts to organically grow out of the confines of what they're testing. Um and ultimately, you know, the system tries to overcompensate every single step of the way to eventually where, you know, he, he becomes, you know, this is back to the Matrix Absolutely. effect where he becomes all-knowing and actually breaks out that system. Um, and if to rever- reference back to the end, at that point, he believes he's entirely a human being. This is reality. Um, and Rose appears in the street as a, you know, as a human being rather than just a construct of someone you've heard over the... Um, you know the telecom, or the uh, or the Namo. Namo. I, th- I thought her her dialogue. Remember towards the end where where the colonel's is breaking up and he's he's spouting all this really random stuff. Mm. I thought her dialogue seemed more interrupted than than his. It seemed like she was trying to communicate with Jack, but was being cut off by someone rather than she was mm. a, an AI, you know, or a, a construct that was falling apart essentially. So I kind of thought, yeah, I think she's more kind of. I always believed in her. And maybe it's because I wanted to. Now you're making me doubt everything now. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, this is why this game is, is ultimately fascinating because I, I came back into this game actually rather worried about because I always remember Metal Gear Solid 2 you know, because of the whole tanker um, um, incident. <laughs> kind of just like, oh God, I don't want to play as Raiden again. But coming back to it now with all the kind of storyline arc, arc laid out and obviously we know what happens in four, well, I knew what happened in 4 so to make stuff canon. So I think you know I could view it in a way that in fact you know Raiden was a human being. But um, I also did a, you know a little bit of reading up before tackling this game and you know read some of these other ideas which you know allowed me to kind of look at it that way. And there's a bunch of ideas and this isn't necessarily just the singular one. But um you know, I, I do like the fact, and I think it makes it more sense if you think that this was Metal Gear Solid Two was the final one in in Kojima's mind, um, and it left it so kind of obs- you know, abstract of whether you know he then grew into this you know reality human being. Um, but yeah, let, let's continue on because uh, the whole point of that is I think the 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 writing is actually more self-aware than most people would like to believe uh, because I think, you know, from my point of view it's more of this VR tr- you know, mission or this, this AI mission that maybe you know, even the Patriots may have run mm. um, to construct soldiers that were as good as Big Boss or as Yeah, big so like, you know the, the sickly dialogue was merely you know, the, the AI itself just um, you know, constructing something, everything that Raiden wanted to hear um, and then challenging with things such as flirtation when he flirts with um, other people, like it, it challenging him in different conventions of, of you know, and getting those the feedback of his reactions to this stuff. Mm. But ultimately, it doesn't prevent the dialogue from being awful on occasions. Mm. Um, and then, and that's I think the seven hours which you play, not actually knowing what the plot twist is going to be at the very end, whichever way you want to take that plot twist is really difficult for me to kind of judge because ultimately parts of that game aren't fun uh, parts of the dialogue aren't fun and most people don't finish games and they'll never get to that point yeah. where it is and let alone play it again to kind of it's not like you know where you watch Fight Club the second time when you know the twist so you can go oh yeah 
oh yeah or the sixth sense or one of those movies because it's not just a case of rewinding it and listen to me i'm old vhs tape uh and watching it again it's a case of you even if you switch it to very easy mode you're still looking at you know several hours of of going through it and if you watch the, all the cutscenes again to spot the the seeds of of doubt and things it's a it's a it's a commitment isn't it mm-hmm. so i reckon still continue it like this we like we've never played the game before Firstly, yep. and then we we can address maybe some of those issues on the fly, or even not at all, and just our immediate reaction to them. Because ultimately, we are playing this game under under that illusion, yeah. under skies. So, um, I, I'm slightly confused here by my own notes. Perhaps one of you can help me clear it up. So, uh, Campbell's told that uh, told Ryden that it's Dead Cell who are the terrorists, and they want thirty billion. But then Rose says it's the Sons of Liberty, and their leader is a, one Solid Snake, which is of course. Uh, everyone believes Solid Snake to be dead at this point. Um, yes, the the reason for that is Dead Cell are well, essentially Fortune and Vamp and Fat Man, kind of. Although he's kind of a loose cannon. Yes, those right. three are okay. Dead Cell, and they are right. effectively at this point considered under the employ of Sons, Sons of, Liberty. of Liberty. Cool. Or okay, Solus, I think. gotcha. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. Um, at this point, we're introduced to Vamp, and although ultimately it doesn't pan out this way, there these are the first um, echoes of uh, obvious echoes of, of something that's gone before. In the, uh, it's very reminiscent the way it's choreographed and shown of uh, Snake approaching Grey Fox in Metal Gear Solid. In that you the, go down the a bloody corridor. Scene, yeah. yeah. And, and although it's not the ninja this time round, the no. ninja appears later, and yes. you, you've already had the sort of initial infiltration, which is very reminiscent of MGS, and yeah, the fact the that you know they're. Yeah. The, really yes, the demasking yeah. and the elevator is exactly no. the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not to con- not to kind of put this put the seeds of doubt into you even more. Um, if you look at the all the mission data that they knew that they had from Snake from Metal Gear Solid, um, basically if you look and Leon, yes, you you mentioned this when you were playing through it. I saw on Twitter, which mm. it feels like you're playing through just scenes from Metal Gear Solid. Yeah. Mm. Again, and so if you take that they had all the tactical data from the Shadow Moses incident and basically put an outline of something else over that tactical data, but ultimately the the fights that you, you know, these memorable sections, you kind of replay those things because they kind of have a pan out of how, you know, how Snake um, approached these scenes. Yeah, and obviously we will get to the point where it is revealed that the whole thing is designed to be... uh, a, re, a, 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 a simulation of Shadow Moses um, but again I feel this is as much as anything this is Kojima commenting on the fact that he's remaking the same game over and over again <laughs> because as we as we established when we went back to play Metal Gear and Metal Gear 2 they were pretty much the same as Metal Gear Solid um, and it's and it really is as, as I said earlier it's really about the details that the technology allows him to embellish more than the actual fundamental structure of the game that changes I mean it's also commenting on storytelling of all kinds you know people have tried to break down the sort of six or seven different story types that exist and and just put you know group every single story that's ever been written filmed told into one of these categories you know uh, the the hero's story the heroine's story that sort Mm. of thing Mm. Um, and it perfectly fits Um, we're also told at this point that there are multiple intruders which is another um, nod to the previous games but Mm. We immediately after meeting Vamp, we meet Iroquois Pliskin. Um, yeah, who actually outright says to Raiden, "War is a video game." That, that's he does. literally a line he says to him. "War is a video game," which is another clue as to to how Kojima feels about uh, about his games, and and it's the first sort of uh, 
This is also the scene where uh, Iroquois Pliskin, who's quite patently uh, Solid Snake, um, obviously anyone who's seen Escape from New York understands the Pliskin line. I'm not... The the Iroquois are a tribe of American Indians. Um, I don't know what the name translates to. Uh, whether it's I something wonder if it's snake. I don't I think it is. No. I don't believe it is, but that would that would have made sense. Um, this is also the scene where, as well as he's saying war is a video game, he's also, uh, as Paul said, sort of dismissing the idea that VR is adequate training for video games. So he's is he contradicting himself? <laughs> this, this, I believe this is also the scene where actually no, because it's slightly later on where. Um, he works out that it's actually the snake where he brings up the fact that he's read his book which is like Into the Darkness mm. which he didn't write but you know somebody else has done this fictional mm. uh, I guess this I don't know, whatever, you know, whatever the Shadow Moses incident so he'd read that book so he knows um, that incident inside out once again commenting that maybe you know he's basically just just playing that same mission yeah um, this was the point where I've actually made a note um, this is, refers more to my gaming experience than what's happening I've, I've written more and longer cutscenes and codex tiny bursts of gameplay absolutely uh, I think it's really annoying doesn't it at some yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean this will come back in our, in our summaries at the end but and this is another thing that I think is why this game is not held in such high regard by by some people is that this is the point where the game kind of started going from being um, a video game with some interesting ideas into some interesting ideas with a video game in. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of fixed the balance. We'll talk about that obviously in the next show. Yes. But yeah. um, I think that the big problem I had with two was when three had the balance right when you usually when a codec call came up you wanted to hear a codec call you know Resident Evil 4 is one of the best games I've ever played for this so when mm. you think there's going to be a, when you feel it's right for a boss fight you usually get a boss fight when you when you feel there's going to be a cutscene there's a cutscene and it all feels right and balanced and you want to watch it you want to listen to the, the codec you know in Metal Gear Solid 3 but in Metal Gear Solid 2 I found when I was playing through it when I got that extra codec call I was just like, I'm going to piss off and leave me alone for a minute. Yeah, you know, it, there was there was too many, and there were it was all out of balance. It just really didn't feel right at all. Lots of mandatory ones that you you can only skip once he's opened up into them. So you, although you can super fast forward through them with the triangle button once you're into them, I was playing back through the opening sections again uh, for refresher and achievements earlier, and it even that gets annoying. Even when you're skipping all the cutscenes, you have to. Like cutscenes are made out of multiple cutscenes, so you have to X button through them and wait for the next one to to spring up. And codex scenes, you have to wait for the the screen to come up and before you can get out of them. And it really does um, put a spanner in the works in terms of just enjoying this as a game, in terms of actually you know controlling a character, shooting but, enemies, and all that kind of thing. But I mean, it it it's so that Kojima has so much narrative he wants to give to the player. I mean, you could argue this is a good thing or a bad thing, and, and everybody's made up their mind by now, I'm sure. But ultimately, he has so much information and so many ideas that he wants to feed the player that, you know, if if he does them in cutscenes, then the player criticises because ultimately they're putting the power down for 30 minutes and watching the screen. If he does it in codex, then ultimately the same criticism still applies, but he doesn't have to spend the, the money and the resources in, in putting these cutscenes together. And, and some of the conversation are nothing but kind of... No, just like background idle information you couldn't necessarily do that in, the, in a cutscene mm. anyway um, and I think it's one of the things I mean Metal Gear Solid you know, with the fact that we're already you know, an hour and 
odd into this show, uh, and we're you know we're only what, halfway through the game, is that it's got so much so much depth to its narrative. And I think if you took all those codex stuff away and just had the um, the cutscenes, then yes, it would be a tighter game. Um, and I think Metal Gear Solid One or Metal Gear Solid is a prime example of that of how much tighter that is how much more maybe enjoyable it is but I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing having so much more expedition apart from when it comes to Rose who you know is, <laughs> I think you know, even just cut, you know, skip 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 in the end I think having a lot to say or a lot to tell to the, the reader or the player is a problem every author mm-hmm. or creative person has and it's then the, the creative decision to say okay we can afford to lose this in favour of the pacing of the game not suffering I think that's a problem every single um, <clears throat> author will have, you know, they can ply you with any amounts of information but it's it's how mm. they present that information to you, as, as the critical choices that a creative has that a creative person has to make you know, so I think he that, that is a, a relative, that's a shortcoming for me in Metal Gear Solid 2 as some of those codec calls could have and should have been omitted because the pacing was knocked out of whack so much that it became kind of a somewhat irritating in some places. It's it's odd, isn't it? Because you know, in Metal Gear Four, he arguably goes and you know a step beyond what he did in Metal Gear Two. I mean, some that's, of those. That's true. But I found them more entertaining. You know, I thought they were shot better. I thought that the dialogue was was more interesting. I thought it was more entertaining. I was being entertained while I was. Well, I think, and that's the key, isn't it? it? Like, I I th- reading them or, or listening to them, yeah, that is. I think that is the key. You know, people say he needs an editor to cut off the content. And I just think he needs a, a better way of presenting that well, content. And, and while we're still talking about the cutscenes in particular, I mean, I, I timed a couple because I felt like they were going to go on. Um, and one was 42 minutes long. Yeah, it's the scene. penultimate scene, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, even one before, the, the, I think there's another one that was 34 minutes yeah. long. Um, yeah. And it's a really weird feeling because, I mean, you you feel like you're interacting with it. I mean, you, you are there, you're watching, you're watching the stuff going on and it's all part of the story. So you kind of almost still feel like you're playing the game, but you the pad is down mm-hmm. next to your side. You're not holding on to it. Um, and, you know, I, I was commenting, I mean, I mean Liz was watching this game with me and she wanted to, to watch the whole thing because she was in, engrossed in what was going on. But when you realise that you, you know, essentially you could have watched like a, you know, whatever, a 40 minute episode of, you know, one of your favourite TV series mm. and, and you're like, Jesus Christ, I could have watched like an entire episode. You can and, and zoom in with the R1 button though. <laughs> <laughs> in, and it's analogue on the, on the PlayStation as well. So. I think those, those cutscenes are all, they're all very, I think they're, they're fine towards the end of the game, they're entertaining at that point, you're wanting a conclusion, you know, when the pad's down, the pad's down as you said, but I was talking more throughout the game and it is just when that extra codec call comes in when that select goes on screen you're like I'll piss off I wanted to actually start playing at that point Mm. well and I think they overdo it on certain things like you know oh Raiden if you you go down on all you know if prone then you can climb underneath that fence Mm. you know as somebody who's played the previous games you're like well yeah duh and quite often I would just completely ignore because like I know how to use a ladder you don't need to do this codex to me yeah, but, they, they uh, but of course there's also dozens and dozens and dozens yeah. of secret little ones uh, relating to the room you're in, what you're holding, and all that stuff. And some sometimes in there, there's I think they're over the top. There's yeah. some little nuggets of entertainment, but it's whether you can be bothered to try out every every character and every combination of things just to find the uh, find the the nuggets of 
of useful information or interesting information but um but it's there if you want it that's for sure i think maybe that's the problem is that this game feels like there's a lot of exposition at the beginning with um snake and otacon to catch up on and there's an awful lot at the end and and those bits are entertaining but it's the stuff in the middle particularly the stuff where it's illustrating who Raiden is and his character and he's interacting with Colonel Campbell and Rose but it kind of feels like they're beating the drum a bit too much you know how many times did Rose have to ask him to open up and he said no we kind of got the message and after a while it just felt like mm. it was interruptions for the sake of interruptions yeah it could be done more economically in a in a movie uh, that had more confidence perhaps you know perhaps because it would be real actors and and stuff, and they can uh, get more across with facial expressions, stuff like that. And obviously, we're still talking um, that generation of of facial graphics and stuff, and they are a bit mannequin like and a bit lifeless. So perhaps perhaps they felt that they had to do more of that to yeah to hammer the point home. But for right or wrong, yeah. well, as I say, from my point of view, I think the main thing is that they should have put a full. First, well, two things mechanically. One is that if you have forty-minute-long cutscenes, you have to make them pausable. Uh, mm-hmm. You can't just have the only. You've got two controls available during those cutscenes. One is the right bumper or R one to zoom in, which does nothing um, other than zoom in. Um, and two, you have the X button, which or probably the A button, which skips the scene. There's there's no pause, there's no rewind, there's no fast forward. You know these are things they could have done back then, um, or at least you know where they're segmented into multiple scenes of FMV and uh, in-game engine stuff. You could have been able to you know skip between them and stuff. But if you you know if you like today, I was watching that 40-minute cutscene and uh, and my girlfriend comes home and it's like I'm basically you know she's Sorry. she understands because she knows that I do this show and that I take my gaming very seriously, but you know what if one of the cats was ill or something it's like oh well yeah. fuck you know that's or, or someone knocks on the door but yeah, yeah it exactly. ultimately comes across as I, I know you're home not now i'm busy watching this and it's yeah. like well, and, yeah. and it's a real life concern it's a bit of a sort of well it won't affect everyone but yeah it just seems like something that modern day gaming's kind of solved for us most cutscenes you can pause now and mm. they even get cheeky in a couple of occasions where they do like a 25 minute scene you walk one room, maybe two room rooms. You'll hear the control twenty minutes. Yeah, or the, or the, yeah, <laughs> or you'll hear the controller vibrate because you've just been smacked in the face by something because the cutscenes ended mm. when you've when you've decided that nothing's happening for a while or whatever. So, but mm. ultimately, it's become a staple of the of the franchise. And you know, I don't. I think probably Metal Gear Solid Four would be a better place to have this conversation. Is like, you know, are they really welcome? Because they're. I mean, some of them are what an hour long. Um. But yeah, I, I think it's one of those things. If you if you're not into the story expedition of this stuff, like I mean, yes, you can skip him, but then the game would make even less sense than what it does now. And Christ knows. Yeah, I mean, certainly playing it back in 2001 when I was generally less concerned with uh, gameplay, uh, video game narrative, and also I wasn't trying to do a podcast and sound like I understood vaguely what was going on. Um, I really you know i got quite bored and frustrated but this time at least i had a reason to be paying attention <laughs> so uh but i suppose from the point of view of a lot of the people listening it these these will just get in the way but i think those those feelings will be echoed by our correspondents who we'll hear from later on uh peter stillman is introduced at this point a, a new york police department bomb squad expert and teacher 
um, as is Fat Man, the Emperor of Explosives. Um, who? Uh, so there's a whole fairly long section now, which is to do with finding and defusing bombs. Uh, thankfully, the man they call Fat Man sprays a little bit of uh, his own favourite cologne on all of his bombs, which enables you to seek them out with a with a with a special sensor. <laughs> Obviously, uh, this involves, of course, some trademark Metal Gear backtracking, but also some quite interesting uh, searching for things, looking in mirrors, looking behind doors, looking under uh, grates in the floor and things like this. So there, there's um, finding your way around a, a room <laughs> with under a pipe, stuff like that. Um, deep Throat Stroke Mr. X uh, introduced at this stage. Another Deep Throat with a slightly different voice, uh, an anonymous... Uh, communicator via your codec um, and Olga also tells you around this point that she's seen a cyborg ninja knocking about and a man under a cardboard box which is quite a good gag and I believe there's a point where if you're quick enough in a certain section you you do actually get to see uh, Iroquois Pliskin um, sneaking uh, mm-hmm. up a bridge under a cardboard box uh, it's one of those Metal Gear bits where you have to be in the right place at the right time to, to catch it uh, so yes, um, Fat Man has been planting his multi-bomb booby trap all over uh, Big Shell, uh, but um, Stillman's confused and perturbed because he's doing an amateur's job. Uh, when you finally defuse all of the bombs, uh, it turns out the whole thing was a trap, and in fact Stillman gets blown up. <laughs> <laughs> and Fat Man apparently made an atomic bomb when he was ten. Oh, that's right, yes. I found that yeah. so funny. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. So yeah, I just a simil- that. <laughs> no, that's good. It's, uh, it's a sort of similar um, history with nukes to uh, Otacon. Yeah. Tragic. Uh, I, qu- I quite liked Stillman's story. Um, okay. He's uh, He's got a limp when you meet him, and it turns mm. out that he retired from service because of a, a um, bomb defusing that went wrong and resulted in the death of... Was children it was, a church, was it a church or a school it was, it was a church, church yeah. Yeah. yeah church full of kids yeah yeah um and then later on it's it's discovered that it turns out he's limping because he's he's putting it on he he doesn't want the guilt of of those deaths on his hand so yeah. so he he fakes his injury uh, mm. and and retires into seclusion just to avoid the shame um mm. uh, and yeah yeah he, he um he, he is outdone. Oh, sorry for interrupting. No, no, no. He, he takes on a, a kind of paternal role with yeah. Fat Man. He's, uh, I never had any kids or something like that, and yeah. I saw Fat Man has been a has been my child. I thought that was a bit yeah. a bit dodgy, to be honest. Yeah. Isn't it also um, described? Uh, I think Ocelot says that Fat Man was way off mission. Like he he betrayed them. It's revealed right at the very he's end. He's a maverick. Of the game. Yeah, he, yeah, he's got his own ideas. Yeah. But yeah. Mm. Uh, so yes, the uh, Ryden's done his bit and defuses all the bombs he can, uh, which were which would in theory have um, caused the environmental disaster. But actually, Fat Man was kind of working to his own mo and stuff. Well, uh, the environmental disaster is a lie, anyway. Well, yes. There is- yes. Yeah. Uh, the terrorists uh, are now threatening to kill one hostage per hour, and it's at this point that uh, Raiden runs into Fortune. Now this is a weird boss battle. It's 
almost not a boss battle. It's not. <laughs> no. I mean, I, I was I was sort of shooting, and occasionally she would take damage, but I couldn't work out if that was from a ricochet from my bullet or if she was damaging oh. herself. Oh, I didn't even know she could take damage at all. Yeah, uh, I, I definitely. Because I was shooting at her, but I wasn't shooting directly at her. I was sort of shooting behind her. Uh, she Fortune. This is Fortune, who we've we've already been introduced to in a cutscene as uh, bullets uh, kind of fly past her and arc round her, and she cannot be hit. Yeah. This is what we know about her at this stage. Uh, uh, yes, yeah, she's so carrying a rather large. Uh, <laughs> it's supposed to be a real looks gun. Looks like I a think, real isn't gun. It? Yeah, yeah. Looks like yeah. It's a real gun from the Metal Gears. Yeah, and yeah. she she has the form, therefore, very much of. Um, why am I blanking on his name? Vulcan Raven. Vulcan Raven. Because obviously he carried the large chain gun. Yep, um, exactly so. right. Um, and uh, basically she takes apart the room that you're in and with Raiden uh, all you can pretty much do is uh, get out of the way. Uh, eventually uh, there's a cut scene. Uh, Vamp um, arrives and Vamp uh, arrives, yeah. they, both, they both leave you essentially. Is this yeah. before or after Ames? This is after Ames. No, but we're not at Ames yet. Oh, sorry. <laughs> coming, <laughs> coming up to Ames. Um, next, uh, next major event is uh, Fat Man, who is on a is a larger gentleman, hence his name. Uh, he's on rollerblades or inline skates, and he's carrying uh, a glass of wine with a straw in it. Of course he is. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> uh, so you have a, a fight with him, which kind of, um, as I can't remember who it was, apologies, somebody said to me on uh, Twitter that it's like the Bomberman fight. It's kind of like a, almost a, an homage to Hudson Soft's Bomberman series because it's uh, on a grid and he plants bombs and uh, it's all about... Oh, of uh, course. You, have to, you have to sniff them out, defuse them and then run up to him and punch yeah. him. Yeah, and as with every boss in this him. game, you can either trank him to uh, submission or kill him. It's entirely your choice. Uh, but if you want the ultimate ranking at the end of the game, you have to not kill anyone, I guess. Is that right? Yeah, I, I managed to trank... Well, I, I got one kill at the end of the game, and I don't <laughs> actually know... I got I don't about know, 100. I, I don't know where that comes from. I, I, I've not, I, I know I tranked every single person. It could so be someone falling really off a, a ledge or something. That happens oh, a lot. Oh, great. You, sh- you <laughs> shot someone over it. You tranked them, and they slumped over a railing and foot, foot fell into the Probably, sea. Yeah. yeah, That's hardly my fault. Well, no. <laughs> sorry, but you well you drugged him and he drowned. So <laughs> yes, I'm afraid it was never in a court of law. Uh, there's one final bomb, which is uh, in a, another sort of classic Kojima touch. You, you you your sensor doesn't work, but you uh, it's actually hidden under the boss you've just killed, which yeah. is quite funny. Uh, Can I just say that I I thought that most of the boss battles in in this game were really underwhelming. Yes, yeah. I, agree. I thought the bosses were underwhelming actually. I, I don't think Fortune uh, Vamp obviously there's more to come from him but Fortune and Fat Man really didn't live up to the, the Metal Gear Solid bosses for me yeah because if, if you look at I mean Metal Gear Solid in, in every shape or form is this reality you know you're going through this situation and um, every I, I said this on the Metal Gear show I felt like every boss you come against had a story had a background of why essentially they ended up join, joining was it Foxhound um, the the organisation, um, and like you know, for, for instance, like Sniper Wolf story, you know, it was actually quite yeah. you know, heartbreaking how she ended up where she was, and it you know, I just none of the characters there, even Fortune, who it was almost like alluded that you know, um, re- oh, again, like James, I've completely forgotten the the big guy's name with it, Vulcan Raven, Vulcan Raven, Vulcan, almost that that he was her father figure. Yeah, uh, that's what I know. took from it. Yeah, um, but just. 
all the background yeah. stuff was was I wasn't interested really in the tour. I didn't think you know the design of them were particularly interesting. Uh, roller skating, Fat Man, you know, yeah. like the story. It you know that in maybe that in Metal Gear Solid would have been interesting because they would have given him some sort of history. But rather than this, he just kind of he hey, I like to make bombs. Yeah, Fat Man's just a crazy Ivan, and Fortune's talking about I can't be killed. Why can't I be killed? But when you had that conversation yeah. with Sniper Wolf, and and she, you know the bosses in Metal Gear Solid talked about their philosophy towards war, and it built into the whole game's sort of ethos, and it really talked about how they wanted to meet their match on the battlefield. Whereas with Fortune, it's but, like, well, take off that device that is shielding you, and probably you'll be okay to be killed. But once again, you know, if you look at this as a simulation, yeah. the simulation wouldn't really take into account, you know, the huge, huge backstories. They were just figures to be put in front of yeah, him and how he dealt with the, the situation. Yeah, cardboard cutouts almost, I suppose. Yeah. It felt yeah. very much like an ensemble cast. I had that complaint, remember, in the, the, the Metal Gear Solid podcast, I was saying the bad guys felt like an ensemble cast, but this is by far worse yeah. for me anyway. Uh, once again, Mr. X turns up. Uh, now you learn that Mr. X is the cyborg ninja, uh, who obviously uh, resembles Grey Fox, but obviously isn't Grey Fox, uh, and is seemingly. I think Cyborg Ninja at this point actually says that he is, or he or she is, on the side of the Patriots or working for the Patriots, uh, showing his hand. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the yes, yeah, Mr. X or the Cyborg Ninja who tells you about uh, needing to find the aforementioned Mr. Ames, his Secret Service agent, who is a hostage in the Shell One Corps. Um, there's a bunch, a whole bunch of hostages in there, and the only way you can identify him is uh, to or speak to him is to get in wearing a full terrorist disguise with the uh, uniform, the clubber, the fatigues, and the correct AK-47 gun and uh, you are given a handy directional mic to listen for his uh, pacemaker. And um, actually, Ames has an interesting backstory as well because he was romantically involved with Nastasha Romanenko. Romanenko, yeah, oh. from the first game. And in her excerpt from her book, she talks about the fact that he was the one who came to her and set her up with um, the the uh, sort of communication station for Shadow Moses. Uh, he came and and sort of almost demanded that she help out as an expert um, for the Shadow Moses uh, incident so she was backing up Snake because of him mm-hmm. um, but but then he disappeared from her life before and then came back then and then disappeared again as far as we can tell but obviously he's quite prominent in the Secret Service so yeah another thing uh, just thinking um, about gameplay facets uh, that is different here from previous Metal Gears is that we talked sort of before about the uh, the sort of pseudo RPG system that after every boss you would uh, be able to hold more bullets, hold more ammo and, and rations. This isn't true here. Uh, this is dictated from the start by your difficulty level select. Just worth m- mentioning. So I think, um, I don't know, how many do you get on easy, James? Rations? Uh, is it eight or something like that? Uh, yeah, it was slightly less than ten, I think. Yeah, you get, you get uh, five on normal. Yeah, uh, ten on very easy, yeah, and, and, easy and then fewer and fewer. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, uh, Ames from Ames, I think you learn that uh, Metal Gear Ray is inside the big shell. Mm-hmm. 
and you see Ocelot and you see Solid Snake you're told he is at that point ah, uh, yes. for the first time that's right you uh, get to talking with Olga as well listen with the uh, directional mic um, there's a and black also case listen to Johnny as well if you like oh is that where Johnny is yeah if you turn the mic to the left of the screen to sort of like the stage where all the hostages are being held uh, uh, you can hear him on the toilet <laughs> okay do you, do, you want, do you want to just quickly explain Johnny to people who haven't listened to the show before or don't uh, yeah yeah sure Johnny? Uh, Johnny Sasaki also known as Johnny Akiba I think that's right um, he was the the guard who had to run off to the toilet when you were being held between tortures in the first game and he is a yeah. recurring character with bowel problems throughout the series yeah is he the guy who has the piss over the edge in this one or is that a separate I, 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 no evidence of that I don't think you can find out who that is because in Kojima's uh, continuing obsession with urine uh, <laughs> as well as uh, EE wetting herself in this one as Otacon did in the previous game you can also take a golden shower from a from a terrorist yeah. guard if you want to for no good reason I couldn't work out there doesn't seem to be any fallout from either walking under that or not walking under nope. that you, but you can look up in first person view and get it all over your face <laughs> I don't think there's any ever reason to have a golden shower so. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, so uh, as in real life I believe there is a black case known colloquially as the football which is uh, what the US president needs to launch a nuclear strike Is that is that, that is based in reality isn't it? Uh, yeah it's, it's used across media and I think everyone seems to refer to it as true um, yeah, it's commonly con- commonly considered nowadays that there is some kind of biometric input yep. has to be made. Mm, mm. Uh, and there's talk of outer heaven again at this point, a new outer heaven, mm-hmm. like the idea that uh, I guess the Sons of Liberty want to create a new state off the coast of <laughs> Manhattan, is it? And yeah. a new outer heaven where Big Shell sat. Um, or Ma- see, Manhattan actually, Island would become uh, yeah, out there. Yeah. yeah, they want yeah. to take over Manhattan That's right. and exit yeah. from the US. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And they need the thirty billion in order to to do that via a high altitude nuke detonation, which would uh, create an electromagnetic pulse, which would make which would put Manhattan offline basically and make yeah, them go right. dark, and then they could turn it into a republic. It's probably the most preposterous plan you could come up with. <laughs> Uh, then Ames seemingly has a heart attack, just like the uh, Baker and Anderson in Metal Gear Solid, uh, which we learnt to... Well, Decoy Octopus, actually, of course, one of them was. Uh, and that uh, very much like Fox Die. Only this time, well, later we learn it's to do with... It's, it's, a, it's a virus that simulates Fox Die and is, corrupts nanomachines rather than actually attacks yeah. your physical being. And his pacemaker is... is nanomachines run because by this yep. point nanomachines are becoming more and more prevalent of course well US. this was 2009 after all you remember how the nanomachine <laughs> revolution of 2009 affected <laughs> us all um, the next section is again a traditional a Metal Gear Solid trope you need a sniper rifle the PSG-1 to uh, pass a bridge this time rather than shooting at a person you are given multiple uh, control box targets to deactivate this C4 detonators. Again, I would have suggested that maybe they should have put these out of sight. Um, although one of them is behind a flag, <laughs> which is uh, that, um, that also changes on difficulty as well. Yes. I've watched a couple of YouTube videos, and if you're playing on whatever the, the top difficulty, there's, there's loads. Say yeah, there's like 15 of them, and they're really them very easy. There's like five. Yeah, you, on normal, you do have to take your pentazamin to. So he's moved on from diazepam to pentazamin in this one, uh, but it has the same effect. 
and steadies your aim. Next significant event, uh, Solidus's snake. Solidus snake introduces himself. Uh, does he explain who he is at this point? The third enfant terrible. It, it's certainly heavily hinted at because he's addressing yeah. Snake at that point as well. Because they're yeah. in the jet and Snake and Otacon are in the chopper. Um, so yeah, we can. I mean, we can say because obviously everyone's come with us this far that this is the third uh, brother of the the surviving. Um, clones from DNA from Big Boss's DNA. Yeah, the, eight, the eight clones that they whittled down. We thought to two in the first game, but at the end of the the game, obviously you hear his. Well, you hear that his mumbling to Ocelot in the final. That's right. Uh, voiceover, and he is the president at that point, but now no longer the president. <laughs> of course, he is. Mm-hmm. Of course, Solidus Snake was the president <laughs> yeah. uh, under the name of something else, though, wasn't it? He? he wasn't President Solidus Snake. That would be ridiculous. Yes. George yeah, Sears, yeah. George, yeah. yeah. Uh, then another traditional boss fight with an airborne vehicle. This time it's a Harrier. Uh, is this probably the most exciting boss fight in the game? Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, the Harrier is pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, it, yeah. it 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 zooms on by like the hinds of the previous games can't. Yeah. Uh, and the, the Harrier is a perfect uh, enemy for this. I, I guess one of the although the uh, there is a difference to previous games because the area that you can um, move between there are two areas over two levels, uh, and it and it and it's you know so uh, yeah so over two tiers. But really, uh, again, it's it's about stinger missiles and getting a lock on and so on and mm-hmm. so forth. And also, all the while, you've got the uh, the health bar for uh, the helicopter, the Otacon and and support copter. Yes, that's right. Yes, Pliskin and Otacon the, the are in one, a chopper. The one surviving helicopter that they plan to use to get the hostages hostages out. Yeah, right. And they chuck down uh, rations and ammo and stuff, which is nice. Uh, the next puzzle is your traditional Metal Gear electrified floor puzzle. Um, so you have to go and find a Nikita now and steer a missile through some uh, vents. Uh, which is uh, still cool, just as it was in Metal Gear Solid. Um, although it's, it's almost identical, but at the end of it, you've yeah. got to try to avoid hitting the president. That's the hilarious part. Yeah, so <laughs> he, sort of, uh, he sort of does a whoa, almost uh, yeah. horror movie style running away from the. He dived into my first rocket, uh, and that is instant <laughs> game over. Yeah. But uh, after a while, um, one of one of your advisors, I can't remember if it's. Mr. X or whatever suggests that you go and there's another room you can go and stand in which makes it a lot easier so there's two ways of steering your Nikita into the president's room Um, but in the dark room with two uh, turrets in it if you disable those turrets and stand facing north uh, there's a big old gap and then there's a little tube which the Nikita goes straight through and hits the control panel sweet uh, so, President Johnson, then, once you've cancelled out the, uh, the, uh, the destroyed the Transformer, whatever it is, and walked across the previously electrified floor, President Johnson, and then what's the first thing that President Johnson does? Grabs your balls. Grabs your balls. <laughs> <laughs> if I remember correctly. So... It says, oh, you're not a woman. Yeah, so, yeah, it's... <laughs> One of the shakes hands. <laughs> <laughs> one of the weirder moments in gaming this, alluded to by uh, some of our three-word reviews later. Uh, rather than say, hmm, "You're quite, you're a bit androgynous. You're a very pretty boy," or "Hmm, hello there," uh, he just grabs the crutch. Johnson grabs the Johnson, I guess. 
Indeed. <laughs> Hence his name. If it was a woman, that'd be awkward, wouldn't it? Yeah, just well, he would have gone. Well, hey, <laughs> slip, slip the <laughs> finger up his sneaking suit. <laughs> Hopefully, trimmed his fingernails. But uh, Johnson reveals that he wanted absolute power to supplant the Patriots. Well, frankly, yes. that's a ridiculous idea. Uh, that was never going to happen, was it? And this is where we learn that uh, the twelve pa- uh, there are twelve Patriots um, that make up the Wiseman Committee. And they are the real power behind the throne. And and you learn that uh, George Sears now solid as snake. I think you learn that he was basically set aside by the you know he was That's put right. in place then set aside by the Patriots. And now uh, President Johnson wants to try and overthrow the Patriots, but has has seen the light. He's now glimpsed the world without the Patriots and the chaos that would ensue. Indeed, and so is cooperating with them. Yes, once again. So. The president also tells us that Big Shell is not only a cover-up for an environmental thing, but it is also the newest Metal Gear, Arsenal Gear. Um, and inside Arsenal Gear, a whole host of Metal Gear rays. <laughs> Metal Gear's everywhere. Uh, and this is also the point where you learn that the Patriots fear the digital age, the internet, um, forthcoming social media, and stuff like that. that. that it provides, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Arsenal Gear will control this via uh, GW. Do you ever learn what GW stands for? I'm George sure Washington, do. isn't it? <coughs> of course it is. So you start off on George Washington Bridge, the very of opening scene. Of course. And end up at Federal Hall. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Of course. Um, and this uh, GW will uh, yeah, enable them to have ultimate control out of overall digital information. Yeah. Uh, I suppose you could say there's a kind of flaw in this plot which is that it's actually in some ways possibly easier to control digital information than all the other kinds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is that is that fair? But I mean th- that's the idea isn't it? The Arsenal Gear is a station that has both physical threats through its uh, army of uh, Metal Gear rays but also mm. has GW through which all communication will be now filtered. Right. Mm-hmm. Is the okay. idea so it's the it's the perfect uh, station through which the, the Patriots can can really put their sort of iron grip around the entire world. Well, going back to the illusion, you know, how the, the president says that the world would be a much better place under the, the Patriots controlling it. Mm. I mean, how do we ultimately feel about that? It's a it's a weird statement to make. It's hard to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, just somehow the Patriots. Are ig- the good ignorance guy. is bliss, as uh, as what's his face said in Matrix. You know, it can be cipher. Cipher. Yeah, I think so. It's gotta be better than the Tories, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean that's the question, isn't it? Is is chaos is the the chaos that comes with freedom better than the order that comes with control? Mm-hmm. Uh, this this at this point that right well just before now that Raiden I think becomes a really mm-hmm. good character. And he, he alludes to mm. uh, he alludes to a few things like a kind of higher purpose. He was I think he was talking to Rose and Campbell and he was saying there's something I there's something about that I, that you need to have something more than free will and mm. you know something about that a soldier has and this kind of higher purpose type thing and this is when I think he starts to think like Snake I think what yeah. um, he starts mm. the program perhaps the whole thing has starting to take effect that he has they are creating a soldier like Snake he is starting to think for himself and you know question authority and all that good stuff this point and when I, I started to really like riding actually started yeah. to bloom kind of in front of you 
And the irony is that it's it's Snake himself that planted that seed in his head. Absolutely. You know, mm. early on in the story, and, and um, again, it'll be covered next game. But you see it with uh, Boss and and Naked Snake. Um, you know, the idea that if you're just a soldier and you're still following orders and not working on some higher code or higher morals, you haven't really become a true soldier, a true warrior yet. Yeah, this is when I thought Snake started taking on a, a, a teacher, a kind of a teacher figure, rather than I, I wanted to be Snake. I wanted to control Snake, but at this point, I was maybe kind of empathising with Raiden because I was like, I see Snake as being someone to aspire to. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. quite there yet. Well, you know, not quite there, but I would give, want give it a to be. Of years, Paul. You'll yeah, that, <laughs> I think I need a few more than that, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was like I wanted to learn from Snake. You know, I didn't want to just assume the role of this awesome dude. I wanted to, you know, be under his wing, so to speak. But, but also asked. becoming your own man is, is the idea of it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, the kind of coming of coming of age thing. I really liked that that aspect of it. He also talks in a codec to Rose about, um, you know, part of his training was basically they would show him all the 80s action films. Mm-hmm. So, like, you are invincible. You can, you know, you can overcome the, the ridiculous odds and survive everything. anything. Uh, apparently, you know, a lot of uh, violent video games were showing to him how, you know, how you, you basically there is no death. You just, you know, continue playing. Um, you know, they're, they're, you know, just you are a warrior. Um, there is no feeling to this. You basically desensitized all this other stuff. Um, and like I said, that's a, a codec conversation I have. I assume most people would get it eventually, but mm. I think it's a random one that comes up. Yeah, no, no yeah, I heard that one. Mm. Uh, so we learn that Emma Emmerich, Hal Emmerich's sis- sister, is of course involved in the uh, creation of Arsenal Gear, but she can also stop it being activated. The present has a virus disc on him because, quote, Ocelot forgot to search me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that wasn't that wasn't my favourite moment. No. Uh the present then tries to make Raiden shoot him, uh but he won't do it, um so Ocelot does it instead. Now we learn some stuff that uh hmm confusion myself here. Um the tanker was supposedly a setup to shut down philanthropy. This is what we believe at this point. Mm-hmm. And we are told that the Marines wanted to uh, deploy or to have Metal Gear Ray, whereas the Army, is that right, were going to use Metal Gear Arsenal? Hmm. I'm not even sure if no. this... I mean, this th- there was there's something about this because I've written it down, but I don't know what. I think this was Ocelot talking, but I don't know what he was getting at, and it turns out to not be true anyway. So we can pro- probably ignore it. Yeah, I think the idea is just to make it clear that the Marines were out on their own on on the development of Ray. They were isolated from even other factions of the the U.S. military. So secret okay. was their was their purpose. So. Okay, right. Uh, next up is another boss fight, and this time it is Vamp. It's uh, a classic fight with someone in a square room, which is, uh, again, something you see a lot in, in Metal Gear. Yeah, I, f- I found this one quite straightforward, really. Um, yeah, very much so. Jump into the water, he'll jump out, run around a bit, come close to you, you hop up and hit him. And it took like three times doing that, and he was down for me. 
Um, yeah, it, it's a shame because up to this, uh, you're quite because of the way he's presented in cutscenes and stuff. He's yeah. he's probably the most intimidating character. Yeah. Uh, you know, you see him actually sucking blood and killing people and avoiding bullets. But when it comes to actually fighting him, he's a bit limp, a bit well, lame. And, and by this point, he's been shot in the. Uh, oh, has he been shot? Yeah, he's been shot in the yeah, head yeah, by this point. Yeah. So when, when that happens and you're playing it, you're like, I'm go- I know I'm going to fight him later on, but how the hell am I going to kill him? You know, all this thing exactly. going around your head. Yeah, exactly, it's a, yeah. how, is he, how am I possibly going to bring him down? It's got to be some weird, obscure virus or something like that. Yeah, and of course you don't actually kill him, but you can win the boss fight simply by shooting him enough times, which, yeah. Then Raiden finds Emma, who he needs to find, and she wets herself, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> It does run in the family. Yeah. <laughs> and it comes, it falls to, because there are uh, flooded sections of uh, Big Shell now, due to various explosions that have gone off, uh, Raiden is left with the responsibility of curing Emma's inconvenient hydrophobia, which she picked up as a child when nearly drowning. Yeah. Which is why her, well, Emmerich and her haven't spoken in such a long time. Yeah, Otacon and her have, have had Estranged. a wedge between them since... Strange then. step siblings, aren't o- they? Although it turns out that actually it's because Otacon was seduced by her mother. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah not, that, his, that. not his mother, we should point out. They had a father in common, not a mother. Step mum. Yes. Yeah. Yes, step, they are so, step siblings. Uh, it turns yeah. out, yeah, that was the real reason, but it happened to coincide with uh, the, the time at which she had nearly drowned. Yeah, um, and when uh, when. Emma's mother found out of this affair uh, her dad committed suicide which is a it's a pretty dark yeah. scene that's pretty much completely destroyed by the delivery um, I think I have to say that uh, Christopher Randolph who plays Otacon uh, fails miserably in these scenes and in and uh, later in the doesn't get in four yeah. and does he okay I, but, I've See, I, I want to say that this is just the way the character has been written to a lot because in the first one, you know, this is a grown man, yes, in a, in a rather tense, un, almost surreal situation, very scary for him, I'm sure, but he wets himself and hides in a locker. Mm. And and they sort of play him for the, the wimpy scientist, if you like. And again, in, in this one, I really liked what they were doing in the tanker section with him trying to play the role of... Mei Ling saving your game yeah. with his sort of his proverbs that he had that he completely misinterpreted at, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so he said all for one one for all that means uh, if you try to take on everyone they'll all kill you or something yeah. and it's just really just bizarre and his retelling of Achilles in Paris and uh, the, the sort of um, Greek myth but yeah it's, it's all very um, quite funny uh, and coming from him you think okay this is the sort of thing he tried to do because he thinks that's what Snake wants when actually of course it's not but um, yeah, in, in the latter half of, of this, once him and Emma get closer to meeting, it, he kind of he reverts back to that MGS one character a little bit. I think. Yeah. Uh, so the, these underwater sections, the swimming controls are pretty terrible. Yes. Um, it looks good, 
but uh, it's pretty horrible to control. They've put some mines down there and stuff to make it more difficult. Mm-hmm. And there's various secret items in that area to pick up as well. Well, not secret, but yeah, body armor, very handy for the final fight. I found the, the, ge- the geometry is a bit of your enemy at this point as well, because yeah, and the there's a couple of sections you've got to go through some debris, and you can kind of get caught and stuff. And yes, uh, and of course you have. <laughs> Uh, you have Emma's uh, small oxygen bar to worry about Uh, so as well as Emma whinging about her hydrophobia um, you it was exactly at the point that I first had my head underwater with um, Emma clinging to my back and holding her breath that Rose codeced in and started whining about their love life <laughs> uh, not really the moment for it. True, right? exactly. Uh, I think he he actually sort of tries to say at one point, "Yeah, I'm kind of on a mission here, love," but um, but it just goes on and on and on with some hideous dialogue, some cheesy piano music, and just to top it off, we learn at this point that Ryden is a wife beater as well. So just yeah. it, if you were already not feeling particularly disposed towards his character, uh, Rose starts crying because Jack knocks her because about of the time he hit her. Yeah, yeah. Can awesome. you blame him? She has a beer in the backseat. <laughs> Good point. Well made. Uh, Hayden Rince do not support the words of Paul Rooney in this. Yeah, exactly. I'm only yeah. joking. Domestic, domestic no, no, abuse is no excuse. like an odd turn for his character to take he's got these hidden uh, this hidden past these skeletons in the closet and all, mm. obviously that's going to have left scars mitigating but circumstances but not yeah. mitigating enough once again yeah. I, I feel like you know this is just implanted into him into his psyche you know he's just a, a ge- uh, genetically created soldier with most of these these memories and thoughts and feelings implanted into him and once again it's just another test of his character as assimilation, which you know. But again, at this point, you don't know that. So no, you don't, but, you know, I'm just—I yeah. I was just thinking, oh great! So the character I'm playing is not only a whiny prick, but he's also a wife beater. Brilliant. Yeah, it it does drive a bit of a wedge between it you does. and the character, which. Mm. And the other thing as well is they keep obviously every time that Snake comes back on the screen, they keep reminding you how cool of character Snake was, and you're still playing this whiny riding character, which mm. kind of made me laugh every single time. I was like. I'd, you know, they don't hide the fact that you're playing this whiny character. In fact, they they you know empathise it all um, mm. by having mm. <laughs> Snake by your side so many times. Uh, I'd like to bring in uh, the, our first uh, piece of correspondence from the forum at this point from Baker's Twelve. I remember laughing at the thoughts in inverted commas that you could make 
uh, audible from the protagonists having a long bit of crazy exposition followed by your character think no way uh, so yeah, I wanted to talk about this because um, that's the other inter- that's that's the only interaction you have during Codex, other than the super fast skip button, are uh, the uh, right shoulder buttons. Uh, top one is agree, and bottom one is disagree by and large. But you remember we talked before about Snake in the previous games being a disgusting, uh, oily schmooze. <laughs> um, every time you're talking to any of the women in this game, Olga. Emma or Rose if you start using the positive agree button while they're talking he basically says he wants to fuck them <laughs> it's like it, it'll either be something relatively restrained like that's so cute I can't bear it or it'll be something like I want to hold you in my arms or it'll be something like I want to take you right now I can't remember what the exact line is but um yeah, so even when he's first talking to Emma, who's this kind of, you know, she obviously, you know, she's good looking and stuff, but when you first see her, she's kind of looks like uh, a lost little girl with her glasses on and, and she's very sort of cute and ditzy. Uh, Jennifer Hale, by any chance? Yeah, good uh, Jennifer. Yes, yeah. yeah. yeah it was. Uh, and she's just wet herself. And even at this point, you, you, you can, as, yeah. as, uh, as Ryden go, uh, I want to take you right now, you know. Which is odd. Again, you know, why? Why is this stuff in here? Is it just pure yaks, or what? What? what why? <laughs> yeah, no answer. Okay, it's optional. I'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah. I, I knew, I knew it was there, but only after the fact. I, I mm. never tried pressing any of those buttons to either agree or disagree. I was quite I, happy with. I, I want to say cultural differences, but I think that's easy, an easy cop out. Mm just to put it there. Yeah. I think the the weird thing for me is that Emma's age is left really sort of vague, I think. Mm. You, you know it was a number of years ago that um, she nearly drowned in the paddling pool. So you can imagine that she's probably mid-teens by this point, but she she could well be anywhere from well, about 12 to 19 in all honesty. And there's also a number there. of lingering shots of her legs and different... Body parts, <laughs> which of course yeah. this yeah we've got to explain. Uh, she's been injected again inconveniently with a shot that makes her legs not move, which is why you have to uh, swim her about. Mm. Does Otacon not say it's ten years since the last spoke? Yeah, I think so. Mm. So I guess from that point of view, she's probably actually closer to late teens. But it's really difficult to tell. You know, mm. how old would she be when she's in a paddling pool and nearly drowning? Yeah, she's a very kind of uh, she's one of those uh, female characters that you see in anime and stuff, manga, that is yeah. perhaps it, even though she's a some kind of computer genius, she's also like a giggly little girl, which is yeah, you kind of get used to it from exposure to anime, but I'm not sure it's, a, it's always the right thing to use maybe not in this situation she's also scared of bugs which is you know it's a cool little gameplay thing there's all these really uh, very 2D looking by today's standards but quite cool uh, cockroaches everywhere and you have to uh, scoot them out of the way with the coolant otherwise Emma won't follow you because she's scared of bugs so yeah uh, fortunately after this escort mission section she's not with you for very much longer so um you have to get her to the other part of the shell now by this uh, oil fence because the um, 
the main bridge, the main bridge is blown, blown up. Yeah. yeah, so it's a it's a it's another sniper section. You have to take out some claymores and some bad guys and stuff. And uh, Snake helps you from the other tower. But uh, just when you think you've uh, got her through it safely, Vamp pops up again and stabs her. And this is a horrendously bad scene uh, with Otacon. Um, the cheese factor is overflowing here, and his crying acting for me was just just woeful. Again, it seems like it's a, a callback to his his character in the first one. Yeah, it's, there is a flashback it's consistent to... for him, whether or not we like it. At least it is consistent. For, True, for his character. There is a there is a flashback to Sniper Wolf, and he's kind of going, "Well, why does everything always go wrong for me?" So, yeah, Paul, you probably like it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't really stomach him. There's, there's that sign that not a scientist cliche, either perverts or social liabilities. I think that's a bit a bit of a cop out, really. I think they could make more of a man of him. Yeah, I could be quite a charming kind of intellectual kind of older man. I think he could do that. Yeah. And and he's got such scope from his uh, appearance in the first game to grow as a character. And in the first game, they actually have him grow as a character where he's willing to sacrifice himself, although it ends up, depending upon your ending, that he doesn't have to. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it just seems like they, they made him grow. And, you know, he he was having this sort of crisis of who he was in the first game and kind of found himself by the end. And then they almost... Well, they start off with him much improved as well, backing up Snake, and they're now Absolutely. both working together as part of philanthropy. But then they kind of push the reset button when he gets to, to Big Shell. Or certainly once once Emma appears. Jumping forward to four again, I think he he does the same self discovery again. There's a, once again another crying scene, which is awkward to say the least. Yes. Um, and he goes through the same pretty much story arc for a what a third time. Yeah, he, even four, he was a bit of a, a milk toast, wasn't he? He was yes, fairly yeah. ineffectual. Hmm. Yeah. And if the cheese factor wasn't off the scale enough, you already we go into full ripe camembert with the ridiculous snake and otacon fist bumps and man hug sequence. Uh, which uh, was quite something. Um, then you get, uh, well, you, it seems like you're getting um, betrayed or double crossed by the cyborg ninja and snake as they knock you out, and you wake up in uh, a familiar scene, echoing of the torture scene in Metal Gear Solid. Um, yeah. Just, just quickly, um, this is all after a virus has been. Uh, is this before? Is this where the virus? Oh yeah, I tried to upload the virus, but it didn't look like it was ninety percent. Yeah, yeah. Before Emma dies, so they're mm. they're not sure if it's going to take effect or not. That's right. Pan- and I think you know this is the the point where actually um, he changes more of a you know into more of a man as a character. I think his character completely kind of switches and you know he he tries to become um, you know the new version of Snake. And you could argue once again that you know the you know that could be the point where really, really where the the simulations kind of stuff is breaking down entirely, uh, and the characters are all over the place, and you know that virus is is certainly already taken hold in inside. You know maybe that virus is the uh, the corruption of the the systems that have been going on to trick the player. So Solidus, while interrogating, which doesn't go on anything like as long as the one in Metal Gear Solid, uh, I only had to, <laughs> if you'll pardon the expression, beat him off once. <laughs> Uh, he's wearing sort of Doc, Dr. Octopus style uh, yeah, extra extra arms and uh, he grabs you in the face and really that's rather than being an extended interrogation sequence it's pretty much um, an, a, a little tutorial for how you deal with 
uh, Solidus snakes, robot yeah, arms. One the same kind. Yeah. Uh, so Solidus reveals that he knows Jack, uh, Jack the Ripper. He refers to him as um, who is completely naked at this point and some excellent uh, Austin Powers style uh, <laughs> direction. So that, strategic. Yeah, uh, that's placement, it. camera placement. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Um, he Solidus refers to. Uh, Jack as his son, my son. Um, he's a child sh- soldier of the Civil War. Do we know which Civil War? It just says the Civil War. Um, Presumably not the American Civil War. <laughs> no, no. Um, I, I want to so say we do, but yeah, I can't remember. In all honesty, I don't think it matters. Uh, but the idea is, it's very much um, a follow-on from what we'd seen in Metal Gear One and Two, the Zanzibar Land yeah. type thing, where they use child soldiers yes. and. Mm-hmm. This is the this is the outcome. This is what he became. Yeah, uh, and this or, or what his like became. That's right. So he, yeah, he was also known Liberian Civil War. Apparently. Liberia. Okay. Yeah. He's also known as the White Devil, uh, and this is where we learn that uh, far from being um, a uh, a rookie rec- recruit who'd been through just three hundred VR VR missions, he was a ruthless killer from a very young age, uh, and an, and an excellent soldier in that respect. This is also sort of the start of where I feel that Kojima really starts playing with the um, playing with the audience, if you like. Because up to this point, I'd kind of felt that all the sort of... Aside from the codec messages telling you explicitly you have to push the action button or, you know, being very overtly about being a video game, it kind of felt like Kojima hadn't messed with you as much. You know, the Psycho Mantis scene came much earlier in MGS than, than we see anything like that come in, in 2, I think. Um, but at this point, you start getting the. Uh, I think the torture scene has um, it pops up with fish and mailed on the screen, and, yeah. and starts trying to sort of play with your perception of what's going on around you, which, as Tony says, might sort of build into this um, uh, virus being uploaded through yes. GW. So. I was, I was, I mean, I've, I've, I talked earlier in in the podcast about how I felt like you know there was seven hours of kind of like just substandard Metal Gear fare. And I, I feel like this is where we got to the end of that that part. Where um, I agree with James, I, there seemed to be a lot less of the the Metal Gearisms from the previous Metal Gear. Like they were always messing with the player as this, you know, the fourth wall was being broken. Um, and I think it, it played it pretty straight lace for about seven hours after the opening scene. And it didn't really feel, you know, so much like a, the traditional Metal Gear game that you were expecting. The last, like, the, we're entering the last kind of three hours. Where it's almost not, like not of the podcast of the game. No, but um, it, <laughs> it's like the shackles come off. Like all of a sudden, he, he takes a you know a dramatic U-turn and he brings all the guns out, like everything. All sorts of stuff starts happening over the next three hours. Some of it makes absolutely no sense. I mean, in the scene that happens particularly after this section, where you're running up and down a tunnel, mm. and the codec is going batshit this, crazy. This is the best bit of the game for me. <laughs> the... And you know, weird. Weird ass codecs all over the place, and your radar. Little videos of is, Japanese yeah, like women in in deck chairs and things yeah. like that. Yeah, the, and, you, and you could argue this is where exactly where it all you know the simulation. If if the if there is you know that much or you know the VR section or the people that are the VR sections behind him, even if they're in a real place, starts to the virus has actually taken hold and starts to yeah. deteriorate, and that certainly would play into this because who knows what's going on in that tunnel? It's I mean, you're the ultimate. You're running around as a, a naked man, yeah. holding your private parts. The the codec is going you can, uh, crazy. You can really see his perineum, though, if you keep somersaulting. 
<laughs> you try and do that. Yeah. Well, there's another interesting thing starts happening here. Actually, the sections of the game where you go through from through the loading screens. Um, first one pops up and says jejunum, which is the name for the middle intestine. Yep. It then goes to ascending colon. Yep. It then goes to sigmoid colon. It's just ends up really bizarre. ends up in rectum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it's clearly the idea is you're going through the belly of the beast type you're being flushed out, thing and you're getting <laughs> like yeah, a turd. Really bizarre that starts popping up, and it's really when you feel Kojima's influence come mm-hmm. fully back into it again. I think. Yeah, uh, just before we talk more about Campbell being gl- and Rose being glitchy, uh, it's also at that point um, that we learn that uh, Olga is only working under duress uh, for the Patriots because they have a child hostage. Um, she's ninja. Yes, and, and she's been and, trying to yeah. subvert that by working with Snake as yeah, well. Yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah, one of the first things. So Campbell is glitchy. You know, it's as you said that his voice is kind of sort of gone metallic and and, uh, yeah, and glitchy. It's the robot voice you hear on podcasts from time. Yeah, but not this via one. Skype. Um, one of the first things he says is another throwback to previous Metal Gear games: is turn off the game console. Turn off. Mm-hmm. T- I I can't remember if he says. In the original game, whether he actually says the PlayStation Two, I do. I did notice throughout the uh, game that there are some quite obvious re-records of Campbell's voice. So, I presume this is because it's the Substance version, because that actually technically came out on Xbox before PlayStation Two. Ah, very good point. um, So, yeah, there are different. um, By that point, they might have re-recorded those and just put it across all versions. He's referring to different controls and stuff as well. So, yeah, um, it's often the bits where he's talking about which uh, which control uh, which control stick to use and stuff. So, I guess they changed some of the language. so that's fine, but yeah, he t- tells you to turn off the console, and there's various other things. Um, it, that, it, I can't. I mean, don't want to go through a list of them. It's worth looking them up. It's worth playing to that point in the game and spending some time mm-hmm. uh, enjoying those bits because some of them are really funny. But I found with the music, uh, it's a fantastic piece of music at that point. Which and the whole thing is genuinely unsettling. I found anyway. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it really gives a sense that. Um Raiden's kind of world is breaking down around him almost. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's the bit. Yeah, it goes. The, the fish and mail bit is is actually. Uh, it's. It looks like the uh, the game over screen, but in fact you're still playing in a little window, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and all that yeah. stuff. Again, you know, we've seen we've seen Kojima do similar things that before with the, the Psycho Mantis fight and, and so on. But mm-hmm. it's uh, it's exceptionally well done. Yeah, Definite highlight. So Rose is a Patriot spy. This is where Jack learns this, uh, but who claims that she did fall in love with Jack. It was one of those situations where she was sent on a mission to uh, watch him and coerce him and coax him. And yeah, yeah no, I was just going to say she was she was sent to get close to him yeah. uh, and and be the eyes and ears of the Patriots, very close to their protege. Yeah, um, and. Um, yeah. She claims that she did fall in love with him regardless. Although again, you know, this that never quite rang true because why would you? He's an asshole. You know, he's a <laughs> he's a whiny wife beating twat who's got no history, who's got very little personality to speak of. It's But we've already said she's not exactly personality yeah, true. plus issues. True. So. Yeah, people find their match, don't they? It's it's almost exactly like the Truman show in that respect. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's a good point. Yeah. Uh, so after running around in the nutty, fortunately bumps into Snake, who just happens to have all his gear in a trunk in this str- same strange little tunnel. But she, he also has a sword from Olga. Mm. 
which becomes his uh, weapon of choice for the rest of the game. Uh, so the Colonel is an AI, we learn. Um, so he's interacting with Jack via the nanomachines. Well, I suppose, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how, do the, co- how the codec works. Anyway. That's how the codec works. Yeah, I mean, there's various, there's various points along the way that Jack has said, this, is, this, is, this whole thing's weird. Um, I think he says after Fortune first appears, it's like, this is like some kind of nightmare or something like that. Um, and again, he's questioning whether this is this is all a dream. Uh, and, and Campbell generally quickly quashes those um, yeah. and just encourages Jack to concentrate on the mission. Right. Um, Fortune turns up again, but Snake says, uh, "You go on ahead. I'll fight Fortune." Uh, then we learn Jack is this S three project, the the Snake Beater, if you will. Um, that this is what we're told at this stage that S three means which is a, a program to sort of manufacture, if you will, a soldier that can yeah. be the the equal of the great legendary Solid Snake. Mm-hmm. Then you have to fight 25 Metal Gear Rays. Sort of. You don't actually have to <laughs> fight 25, but you don't know when they're going to stop coming, do you? No, no, they keep coming. Yeah. Uh, again, not massively challenging, but quite intimidating. No, it- each one individually isn't the match of the Metal Gear um, Rex fight from MGS One, obviously, because that would be uh, well, it would be absurd, quite frankly, for for Raiden to be able to do, to fight twenty five of them. Um, so they seem much easier to take down in that respect. Each one, I think but it's um, it, it's it's almost like a I don't know I want to say a tower defense game where you're just kind of popping off missiles at them until they stop well, and to to heighten it as well you're in this dark room with this weird like hologramic circle platform yeah. that you're on with numbers and, and stuff going on like it clearly doesn't really represent any kind of reality mm. you know why how would you ever uh, defeat 25 metal gears it, there, there's a dialogue in there where it's you know i think snake talks about you know it just believe in yourself kind of like you know you can do anything if you you basically just try um but yeah, you know, it doesn't. It it makes no sense in the context. If you you couldn't take down twenty five Metal Gears, even take down the four or five that he takes down with the Stinger missiles. It's more. It's more than that. Well, it felt like more than that. But he does actually pretty much give up after a while. When the, he kills mm-hmm. a set number, then the cutscene kicks in, and he's he's pretty much dropped his uh, Stinger launcher to the floor, and he's going, "Oh fuck this! I can't do this. This is ridiculous." And then uh, Olga turns up. That's one. Of the, there's a scene that's one of my favorite. In fact, probably my favorite in the whole game. Where uh, Snake said, you know, he gives he gives him the blade, he gives him the, he gives uh, Jack the katana, and, and uh, Raiden asks, "Are you going to be okay?" And he points at his bandana and goes, basically, "I'll be all right. I've got unlimited ammo." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah really reference from the first game. Yeah. 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 yeah, thought that was really funny. Yeah, I'd forgotten. Infinite that. ammo. Yeah, he uh, and and he does too. Um, but he can die in that bit where there's a there's a, a two hander bit where you're both running down a, a mm. corridor with enemy soldiers, and um, I actually lost one. I had one game over to that because Snake just got swamped by enemies. Oh, yeah. So yeah, uh, he's not invincible. Uh, so Solidus kills Olga. I can't even remember how. Uh, probably just shoots her. No, I, I can't remember. I can't that. remember that. No, uh, but yet, uh, despite this, uh, the rays uh, actually just go out of commission at this stage due to the rampant 
uh, virus taken yeah. off now. Yeah. Then, then comes the forty-two minute cutscene. <laughs> Right before the end. So uh, the snake between Fortune and Solid Snake went Solid Snake's way. Uh, sorry, went Fortune's way, I guess, because Solid Snake couldn't shoot Fortune like nobody, same as everybody else. Or or I, I got the sense when she brings him in that um, he may well have yielded to her on the basis that he knew if he put her and Solid, uh, Solidus Snake together, um, they would end up turning on one another, which is what happens, isn't it? Or is it Ocelot at that point? Uh, well, Ocelot uh, is taken over by Liquid again at this point, mm. uh, and Liquid reveals that, in fact, he didn't even want Metal Gear Arsenal all along. He wanted uh, the names of the Patriots so he could go after them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ocelot, a.k.a. Liquid, was they were playing Solidus... And this is where it's revealed that the whole thing from Raiden's point of view was this orchestrated simulation of Metal Gear Solid 1, the Shadow Moses incident, um, with Raiden being tested as Snake's equal. So for Solidus, uh, Big Boss, for Raiden, Snake. Or the other way around. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, Analogs for each other. However, uh, as we said earlier, Snake, Solid Snake's appearance was not a part of the plan. He was the wild card. Ocelot then shoots Fortune, as we said. Uh, so Ocelot reveals that, in fact, Fortune was not... Uh, it somehow, there was no mystical, magical voodoo going on. She just had an, some kind of electromagnetic anti-bullet shield. But then she suggests that maybe that isn't the case because when Ocelot goes to bomb them all with Metal Gear Ray, uh, she seems to magically deflect all the missiles. Any thoughts on that? She dies anyway. She just drops dead. She's been shot in the heart. Mm -hmm. Oh no, she wasn't shot in the heart. She was shot on the other side. Um, My thought is presumably this emanates from nanomachines within her body and although Ocelot thinks he can turn off their uh, magnetic field she somehow finds a way to reactivate it um, mm. just through her force of will is, is all I can think of yeah she Once kind of again, makes a, she makes a big posture doesn't she she's kind of yep. whereas before she could just stand there and the bullets would fly around and her, her theme would play on the saxophone and she would feel aggrieved that she couldn't die for some reason um, then she dies uh, so Ocelot is just about to um, pretty much destroy the th- three of them Raiden, Solidus and Snake uh, but at this point Liquid kicks in again and uh, just swims off with Ray <laughs> swims off in the Metal Gear Ray Snake dives in after them I don't know what he was hoping to achieve why would you do that? I don't know does it revealed in 4 Paul? I can't I can't remember, remember. I mean he turns up again but it doesn't re- it didn't really I don't know what he no, thought he was going to do, like sort of cling on to Ray and yeah, presu- presumably he's hoping to, well either cling on to it or I don't know uh, tracking device. That's exactly like what that he does. Knows, no, you're quite right. In fact, he does say he does. Yeah. He tracks it. Yeah, he gets a tracking device on it. So yes, there was yeah. there was logic. Well remembered. It was literally just yeah, getting close enough to put a tracking device yeah. on. I guess. Mm-hmm. Good call. Uh, so then the whole Arsenal thing is kind of um, sort of surging down the Hudson River. It's mm-hmm. kind of broken loose from the the shell area I didn't quite I don't remember the point that that exactly happened 
Um, well, the reason that um, Olga, Snake, and Raiden have to get through that door is because they are going to jettison Big Shell from uh-huh. Arsenal gear and right. and launch it essentially. Cool. So yes, launched it is, um, and it ends up. Does it crash into something? I'm not sure, but somehow Raiden and Solidus end up being flung from the from the top of uh, Arsenal gear onto the roof of Federal Hall. Uh, it's April the 30th, exactly 200 years to the day since George Washington uh, <laughs> took his seat as the first president of the USA. The, the Patriots obviously um, exploiting that fact as this being the day that they take over um, full control of, of essentially the entire world through their uh, ability to manipulate information. Now, this next bit interested me a lot. This is where Solidus says that les enfants terribles cannot reproduce naturally. They can't have children. Mm-hmm. And so he can't have the normal legacy that normal regular people choose, which is their mm-hmm. genes by having kids. So he feels it's actually more important and more noble to create some worthwhile history that something that really will be remembered rather than just some more stupid pointless humans to you know sprog off more pointless stupid humans actually do something that makes a difference no i was thinking shit i'm on solidus's side here this is good i'm 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 how am i why am i going to kick him in now and of course there is a reason why you get coerced into into killing him um this is the point where campbell uh, is revealed as an organic AI from beneath the White House. They are not. They are not the human patriots, but they are in fact a, a, a artificial consciousness that grew organically. So they're somewhere between real and unreal. Campbell claims that the patriots don't want to control the people so much as they want safety and happiness for the people by filtering all the crap that forms a lot of the internet, all the disinformation, all the untruths, the opiate of the masses, all the you know pointless distractions and entertainment, and actually have them focus more on the progression of humanity as a species. Um, and they also believe, this patriot AI, that the digital age affords too much power for what is a primitive species, i.e. us. I thought this was all really interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, um, it leads into uh, the the themes of the game really, really strongly at this point. Um, as we've seen with previous games, it's a lot about the f- philosophy of war and the philosophy of conflict. Um, but this game actually starts to touch on the f- uh, uh, the philosophy of of an idea or a meme um, and how ideas can be crafted and controlled and seeds mm-hmm. can be planted in order to to um, to allow to, to control the way people behave and to control the way the world develops and and evolves. Mm. Well, yeah, um, I saw this as kind of like history itself is you know basically Chinese whispers. You know what event may have happened. You know just you know at the, at that certain time. You know a thousand years later, history may see it in a completely different way. And that maybe they've changed the message for you know either the positive or sometimes the negative, but to influence you know a better outcome for humanity. Mm. But uh, yeah, ultimately, yeah, well, history is something that is clearly set in stone, but doesn't always represent exactly the events which, which has happened yeah. in the past. Yeah. Indeed, yeah, it's very much the notion that history is written by the victors, and, yeah. and the mm-hmm. patriots want to install themselves as uh, 
I guess, curators of history. They want to be able Shepherds. to, yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm. they want to be the ones who are just sort like of uh, revisionist history, isn't it? Yeah, pruning and yeah. that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, just quickly, um, the reason I say meme is sort of the theme of this game is because um, Kojima himself has said that the initials MGS are, aren't just uh, Metal Gear Solid, but also they represent the uh, the themes of the games. Um, so Gene was the first game because it's all about genetics and genetic destiny um, and, and whether you can defy that genetic destiny or whether you're beholden to it. Um, and this game, the the theme is is meme, and whether information, um, <clears throat> excuse me, whether uh, identity and uh, information can be affected by philosophy and society, and can be controlled and censored and altered and that sort of thing. Um, so Ryden's obviously wrestling with his identity and and the notion of uh, sense of self is at the heart of what the Patriots are trying to explore by setting up this grand uh, experiment to see if they can actually control the way people behave and the way events unfold by controlling someone's sense of identity, by uh, fabricating or covering up uh, parts of people's history. It makes much more sense than the gene theory of the first game. Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Mm. Although they are strongly tied, obviously meme sounds like gene because the idea is that an idea like a gene can be passed on through generations and it can evolve and, and change and that sort of thing. Uh, it's part, again, of uh, Richard Dawkins' selfish gene theory. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's first mentioned there. That was the first time meme was, was used. Um, and, and then, obviously, uh, the, the the next games we'll, we'll be talking about on Kane and Rin's, uh scene is for Metal Gear Solid 3, and that's about how uh, a, a sense of time and place can affect politics and affect the view of the world and and how that affects the behaviour of people uh, and then Sense is the last one for Metal Gear Solid 4 and it's about the sense that um, although things move on and time changes there's a cyclic nature to everything so yeah I just thought it was, it was an appropriate point to drop that in because obviously this is very much the idea behind what the Patriots are trying to achieve with the S3 simulation which at this point we find out is is not the solid snake simulation. That's right. Um, Selection for societal sanity. And the Patriots themselves are that. Uh, Ryden was chosen as a, a a subject due to, in fact, to his sort of selfishness, his self-centeredness, his remorselessness. Um, but yet, and he doesn't question anything. The fact that he doesn't... Who well, he didn't, maybe... And uh, I, I guess it was... I guess it was really Snake who started having him question mm-hmm. yeah absolutely question his existence so yeah. Raiden no longer really wants to fight Solidus he's uh, he's fed up of doing what the the Patriots or Patriot AI are telling him um, he kind of thinks that maybe the Sons of Liberty is not such a bad idea maybe maybe they should uh, should get rid of the Patriots um, but then it's he's reminded that uh, Olga's Child and Rose also, this is revealed at this point, uh, will die if he doesn't finish his exercise, uh, which is the mission. And if that wasn't enough motivation, Solidus uh, reveals that, um, much like uh, Jaeger, Grey Fox, and his adopted daughter in the previous game. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Naomi. Naomi. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's right. Uh, Solid has killed Jack's parents, and kind of. There's, there's a there's a through line here actually between Grey Fox, Big Boss, and Solidus. They have all employed um, in in some way, shape, or form child soldiers or yep. or child orphans from war. They've all been involved in sort of fathering these, or or in, in Grey Fox's case, always becoming brother of, becoming the the um, the responsible adult uh, for these children of war. Um, so there's a lot of similarities there, obviously. Uh, in a slightly unfair boss fight, you could argue, I mean, it doesn't pl- play out this way, but uh, Raiden has a sword and possibly some body armour and rations, if you've picked any up. Um, but uh, Solidus has two swords and electro-tentacles and missiles, <laughs> which I didn't think was really fair. Uh, some point during the fight, uh, he ejects his electric tentacles, and I think this is, this is where um, it's... Yeah, it's uh, it's Campbell, it's the Patriots, who uh, explain to Raiden why he's called Raiden, because um, Rex, Ray, and Raiden are all American names for Japanese weapons during the war. And I be- yeah. believe that is true. I know there's the the Raiden series of uh, shooters by Sebutsu, which is uh, uh, sort of... But Raiden also means uh, electric electricity, doesn't it, in Japan? Hence... Hence, uh, hence Raiden Mortal, Mortal Kombat, Kombat. And, yeah. and the Raiden fighter having electrical powers anyway that was quite a cool thing uh, you beat up um, it's a pretty underwhelming boss fight for a final boss fight I mean mm. it's slightly annoying uh, as uh, Tony and I both did the same thing at one point which is you can flip off the, the edge of the roof and you will cling on whatever happens um, but if you're if you're at that point still hitting the X button for somersault uh, you'll drop off instead of climbing back up. Um, but it actually only took me a couple of goes. Even I only had one ration, um, which is the one you pick up in the in the location. Uh, but even even that on normal difficulty, it wasn't too difficult. You just have to be patient and uh, keep out the way. Yeah, pick your moments. Yeah, uh, I found the whole sword really clunky. Yeah, it's it's really it's really funny seeing them go down this route again with uh, rising revengeance. Sticks in my throat that title, um, because the control here of the sword is awful. It feels like you're you're wafting a sort of feather duster around. It hasn't got any oomph. Maybe the the click in of the R three button to stab enemy soldiers that actually feels quite satisfying. But when you're fighting Solidus, it just didn't feel like it had any impact at all. Well, as, as I was kind of trying to go for a no kill. Um for I never used up until I got to Solidus at the very end anyway you can you can switch to a stunning sword can't you ah. there's a I did it by accident and I don't know if it's a secret or or what but there is a way of actually switching to a blue sword which only takes down his well that'll be your one kill then if you didn't do this yeah does that count? I don't know if I no I'm pretty sure I, oh, maybe actually that could have been I could have killed him with a sword at the very end yeah, yeah, you can. You yeah, he he still has the same meter as everyone else, so you need mm. to be uh, whittling at his. I guess it's in effect sanity meter is what it becomes <laughs> in MGS four, isn't it? But it's a stamina meter at this point, I think. Yeah, got a save just before it loaded yeah, up. Yeah, I could have done. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I, I honestly can't remember what I did, but I got zero kills, so I assume Must have shot I him with a trank dart. Yeah. No, it's the blue sword. Or change the sword. Yeah. Blue sword. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know how you. I don't know whether I don't think you can just select it, but maybe you can. Anyway, uh, you knock him off the building. He falls at the bottom of the George Washington statue. That's ironic. That is. Uh, Snake is back in the street. He's uh, he's been off and planted his uh, homing 
device on Ray, uh, and he's in very philosophical mood. He's talking about he's talking about all the stuff we've learned. We learned today, Ryden. It's like uh, you know he's talking about the, the nature of the self and stuff that you wouldn't have necessarily thought Snake Solid Snake would have considered. But suddenly, in the, his role here is to is to tuition. Yeah, to be the person who sort of understands these these ideas and. I can't remember exactly what, where he sort of finishes, but he's kind of he's he's very much of the sort of. Uh, it doesn't matter what's real and what not, what's not. You just have to kind of you know forge your own path and do what you feel matters, and because you can't control what's real and what's not, or something. Is that? <laughs> A similar talk to about his genes and his destiny at the very end of Metal Gear Solid mm. as well. Mm. How you just sometimes you have to just ignore all that stuff and just forge your own path. Uh, pretty much the same is said to Ryden and it's it's weird because you mentioned earlier that scene like all the average Joe Bloggs people in the street don't seem to know their presence is even there no it's even suggested that maybe they don't even see that the fact that um, there's a massive great big ship lodged into the side of a building mm. like there doesn't seem to be any panic people are just going about their daily business a corpse with an electro tentacle suit at the base of the Washington yeah like nobody statue. really has taken any notice of that once again it's applying maybe that doesn't even exist yeah. to be there. Yeah, this is the point where you see that the dog tags. Every everyone in this game has dog tags. Famously, you can actually collect every dog tag in the game. Uh, some freeze. Yep, you can hold them up, um, make them shake them out, and some items too if you want to, if you're lucky. Uh, the the list of I think most of the dog tags are competition winners. Their names are real people who wanted their names in the Metal Gear Solid Two game, as I recall. Uh, so I think there's maybe some programmers in there. There's also some other hidden hidden stuff, like you can take photographs of developers in ghost format in certain rooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, some uh, you can certainly get Kojima on the screen in the tanker chapter, right? Where the um, you could do that in the screen first game in the as second well. room. Are there ghosts in the first game? All right. Yeah, yeah. I, I took a couple in the room you fought. I saw. That's cool. Uh, and yes, this now this I remember this at the time because this at the time it was only three years since I'd played the incredibly brilliant Panzer Dragoon Saga on the Saturn, and this almost does exactly the same trick. Um, but Panzer Dragoon Team Andromeda Sega got there a little bit first, which is the bit where after you've been playing in that case the game for something like thirty hours, uh, it tells you that. It, it it does the exact same thing of saying that Edge was only a cipher and you forget that you entered your name 30 hours ago and it says in fact you know effectively it says in fact the the entity who's been controlling the destiny of this entire thing was mm-hmm. in my case Ratso uh, so so yeah that was quite cool but I thought I think I think maybe you saw this somewhere else Kojima before you did it yourself but uh yeah, he chucks his uh, he chucks his ID tags away, saying, "I've never heard of that person." Solid Snake, conveniently, there's a lot of conveniently's, uh, has a list of the names of the Patriots on the real virus disc, which he had all along. Uh, there's a the, then uh, Snake kind of disappears off. All of a sudden, as Rose turns up, um, there's quite a, a good but obvious piece of symbolism as. Uh, Jack puts his hands up to Rose's face and he's still got the broken manacles on from where he was uh, captured before and he's obviously learned some found some sort of freedom uh, and then of course as as if we didn't know it turns out the 30th of April is their anniversary neat and uh, and they met just outside Federal Hall what are the chances <laughs> <laughs> and she's pregnant 
Oh yeah, we learned that at some point, didn't we? That she's pregnant, so uh, Ryden gets to pass on genes and other things and history. Um, his twattishness and <laughs> his his hair. Oh man, because you haven't played four, have you? No. See, th- this is the weird thing, and I know Paul will probably back me up here. Is if you know how he ends up in four, you have a lot of respect for him as a character because he ter- ultimately turns out to be a complete and utter badass. Yeah, I've seen I've seen the cutscenes uh, where, yeah. where where he first turns up and he's a he's a fucking ninja. Yeah, yeah, and throughout, I mean, he, he does ridiculous stuff throughout four. Right. And, you know, but but his character has has changed not just through this game but by the time he comes back in four he's grown as a character i think as well oh completely but um, th- there is not, the... not just the fact that he looks cool and 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 can do some awesome stuff with swords in his feet and whatnot but um yeah it's been a long time since i'd played two so i'd forgotten kind of the story arc of how he got the sword and stuff mm. uh, to become who he was in four so i think there's actually some nice remembering kind of small touches about oh, where he Originated from in the previous games rather than just oh he was that annoying character and they made him cool in 4 I think there were seeds of oh I can see how he's becoming cool now rather than just you know there he was in 4 being cool yeah I think that's a strange thing there was a lot of sort of um, suspicion that Kojima had had made Raiden cool in 4 simply to get at the people who didn't like him in Mm -hmm. 2 but I think yeah as as Paul said and as you said Tony um it feels like he was on that arc already, and this four was just a natural extension of it. Yeah, and now that I've played two and seen that, so. and it's also worth remembering that from Kojima's point of view, yeah, there are there are loads of people out there who have bad feelings about this game, this particular one in the series, and that character. But there's also like hundreds of fan sites and like millions of fan pictures and stuff of who they love everything he does and they got Raiden from the start and so he's not necessarily going to be more influenced by the negative stuff than than the positive stuff so he he maybe was as much influenced by the people who loved everything he attempted in Metal Gear Solid 2 I thought he was kind of winding them up because he seems to be you know in in this game in 2 Snake was a badass and Raiden was a was a the emo kind of Mm-hmm. pathetic one and you were controlling the pathetic one and then in 4 yeah. uh, Raiden's a badass and Snake's the old man mm. and you're controlling the old man so I think he was kind of playing with that kind of further rubbing it in perhaps without preempting the the 4 show is was there any foreshadowing of that thing that I do know is a thing in 4 which is that the reason is Snake, Snake is suddenly so old before his time is to do with the degradation of whatever genetics were used to create Les Enfants Terribles is any of this foreshadow I've, have I missed it is it just not is it foreshadowed no I think it is I can't think because Sears uh, George Sears was um, he was intentionally made to be older quicker so that mm. he could then take presidency right of course yeah yeah there's something like that, but who is it's the DARPA can... chief. Obviously, deteriorates in the first game mm-hmm. exponentially, <laughs> very fast, doesn't he? He takes a heart attack. Um, That's no, Foxstein. I, I want to say there was a cutscene in two where Liquid was taunting Snake about something to do with that, mm. with his genetics. But I might be wrong. I'm not sure. But but like I say, you, you have to see these games as separate en- entities because yeah, you yeah, do. In, yeah. in his opinion, you know, in his mind, at the, the development point, these were never going to be anything more than just these games. Yeah, but that's what I'm actually getting at is that 
even if he believed that to the nth degree, that still doesn't necessarily completely preclude him from sowing the seeds of other things that he oh, yeah. could then use later or not, I suppose. Well, like he did with Raiden. I mean, he gave him the sword and then played on that in, in 4 yeah. and took that Absolutely. further. So. Has it been explained that the name of the, the, the computer AIs are um, GWALTR and TJ? They're all initials of American presidents. Ah. George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Theodore Roosevelt, and Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson. Mm. Yeah. And the, the the fifth one actually might actually be a spoiler, so I'll, I'll kind of leave that. Okay. Are they the ones on? Are they which are the four on Mount Rushmore? Is that the four on Rushmore? Oh, is it? I'm not sure. I couldn't tell you. I would. I, I wouldn't know, but. There's four of them, I guess, so it might make sense. I'll, I'll look that up. Definitely Lincoln and Washington are on there. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Anywho, uh, yeah, so Snake, um, there, there's a voiceover at this point. Um, we 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 cut to, uh, I think Jack and Rose say something like, the, these words are just for us, they're potentially about to talk about marriage, so you no longer lis- are listening in. Um, Snake in a voiceover is kind of opining that we can pass on more than our genes, and suggesting that the, di- the you know the forthcoming digital the real revolution will make this easier to uh, to to for people to manipulate their own destiny and so on and so forth then after the the end song which is uh, which we will end this podcast with much to certain people's chagrin uh there's the uh, sort of traditional post credits conversation this time it's between Otacon and Solid Snake Otacon reveals that the Patriots, the human Patriots, that is, the Wiseman Committee, have all been dead for about a hundred years. Yeah. So if that's the case, either somebody else are the Patriots, or that AI that's controlling Campbell and stuff has been around for a long time. <laughs> mm-hmm. or, or at least it's the um, it, it's the new form of some kind of committee who have been assuming the identity of the Patriots yeah <clears throat> there's no reason they, those just couldn't be the identities of the founding members that new people assume and that now that's been kind of exchanged for an AI that will do that job yeah and again this is a classic thing of like exactly you know Tony I'm sure what you're saying is is right but this little bit at the end here is obviously designed to make you think hmm you know what could happen next if there was another Metal Gear game, uh, and I don't know because I haven't yet played four. Uh, if this has relevance to that story, but I'm going to assume that it probably does. Uh, yeah, well, Metal Gear Solid Four, Guns of the Patriots, exactly. can certainly fill that. Blank <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So uh, I'm very much looking forward to that now because um, for the pros and cons of this game, which we'll talk about in a summary and with our. Uh, contributors right now um, I've got to say that you know for 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 its failings and and whatever um, I'm definitely you know steeped into it now to the point that I actually really care what what or well, not care I suppose but just I'm really fascinated to see what does happen in four because for, I've managed to own it for four years not play it and not really find out what happens so yeah bring it on to summarize for us what the one question that I really wanted to ask, and I think is the sort of the crucial one, is uh, is there a good video game in here with 
the emphasis on game. James? Um, yeah, I, I think so. I think the tanker section proves that this they, they've taken Metal Gear Solid and they've added mechanics to it. They've uh, they've improved graphically, musically. You know, they've really sort of put all the bells and whistles in there that we expect and gone the extra mile. I think narratively it has a lot to do. It feels like, and I know we've said that it probably wasn't intended to be, but it feels like the middle section of a trilogy where you've had that opening um, that opening story and now you've got to kind of fill in the backstory, build everything up for the finale, and it kind of feels a bit like that. There's a lot of information, mm. a lot of backstory that kind of gets in its own way a little bit, I think. But once you get to that torture scene at the end, from there on out, I think the game... You know, boss fight. You know, difficulties aside, is really good. It's really interesting to see where they go with it, where they take it, and the cutscenes. In all honesty, by that point at the end of the game, didn't bother me the length of them because I was interested in what they were telling me. So. Yeah, but from the point of view, from a ludological point of view, yeah, is this? Yeah, it sounds like I'm sort of trying to lead you in a direction, and I don't mean to. I, I, I just, I, I guess, I'm trying to come from the point of view of those people who yeah. have a real problem with this game it, it's it's it, it's less enjoyable to me than Metal Gear Solid certainly mm. well I, ca- I can't really put my finger on why because honestly I would say it was as much about some of the narrative aspect to it the way it's paced as it is the game side of it um, I can't really put my finger on exactly what it is about it I think there's as much as game actual game as in any of the other Metal Gear games at this point mm. uh, inside Metal Gear Solid 2 but I, I think what makes it feel like there's less of that is I think thematically it's not anywhere near as structured as well as the first, well certainly as Metal Gear Solid. So um, you know that's a slightly shorter game. I, I think you know the interlinking of the basic story is a lot better handled, and I think they go for something a bit where well, he clearly goes for something a bit more um, elaborate. Um, you know he plays the player. Um, and I think that's what make you makes you feel like there's less of a game in here. But I think there's just as much stuff you're playing, but it's not as well delivered as the first game, or even probably the first, you know, the first Metal Gear games as well. I just think that the pacing's different, and thematically it just feels slightly more broken up. Um, but yeah, I think there's the actual gameplay itself. There, there's more abilities that you know. There's first person shooting. There's you can hang off ledges. Um, uh, I mean, there's there's lots of little aspects of the gameplay that's changed for the better. Um, so yeah, I would argue there's as much as a game in there. But whether it's as enjoyable as enjoyable to play mm. as the other titles, I think that more comes down to the way that the story is told uh, and the thematics of the game. Paul, would you say that this is more about ambition or indulgence, or is this? A cracking video game, or is it an interactive story, or where do you where do you come down on this? I see it as an enjoyable experience. That's about. I, I understand what, you, what you're saying about mechanically sound and pacing, and you know sometimes you can't. I feel you can't just run through a game in, with a with a checklist saying, you know, are the graphics good? Is the sound good? Is the pacing good? You know, tick those boxes. Mm. Um, I think it is an interesting experience that was sometimes quite difficult to get on with, sometimes incredibly enjoyable, sometimes a bit 
over mm, some of it certainly went over my head quite a lot especially towards the end mm. I think it was tapping out at some point yeah. but um, I don't think that's a bad thing I think there's there's room for it in this world and there's room for experiences like that so and I think games can be so much you know they can be technically sound they can be a great platformer or a, a fantastic sure or something like you know like heavy rain or something like that so mm. um as a as an experience as a start to finish experience i think it's brilliant i think it's incredibly incredibly well made incredibly ambitious and you know a flawed masterpiece is still a masterpiece fair play um yeah, I still I in my summary I still haven't really made up my mind. Um it's such a weird game this one in so many ways. It's such a mixture of things and exactly as you've all sort of alluded to there are moments of brilliance both in terms of gameplay and also narrative wise, but there are also terrible moments in both senses as well. It's a real hodgepodge and um I know a lot of people have a real problem with Big Shell, but I actually find it quite a satisfyingly eerie place uh, a lot of people find it just simply boring whereas I find it again I think I think the idea you were talking right up three hours ago now nearly about the colour palette I think that's entirely deliberate I think mm-hmm. that's entirely to make you feel that you're not you're not at home you're not you're not in Kansas anymore. You're not absolutely. You're not in steel bulkheads and and grey machines. And uh, uh, there's some of that inside the big shell. But the overall atmosphere of that place is so different to anything you've played before in a Metal Gear game. I think it's it, it designed entirely to throw you off, and including the the playing as Raiden and, and and all that. And and I think that that works. And again, it's not maybe you know I can totally understand why it's not what some people wanted. Uh, because when they play a game like this, they want to be a badass, mulleted, bandana-wearing super spy with a gravelly voice. And I think, you know, maybe part of the problem in terms of people's reception to it is that almost the marketing, almost... It's like one of those films where the trailer is nothing like the the final movie because the trailer is full of the, the three jokes that are in the film and then the film is really serious and bleak or, or you know it's got the trailer's got all the action bits in and those are actually virtually none of the film and so people go to see it and they're horribly sort of unsettled confused and disappointed if if people had if if the way Konami had marketed obviously it's you know you have to market it so the way that's going to sell most copies that's what marketing is but uh, but in terms of expectation I think it, it probably threw a lot of people off Absolutely, I think they maybe felt missold it. Mm. Definitely, but what, what you're saying about the big shell—that it reminds me so much of what I was saying about the, the colours before and how unorthodox they were and how perhaps not aesthetically pleasing mm. they were. And when I was talking about the, the water sounds and stuff and, and the whistling wind, and if you if you play back some play back that part of the game, especially outside, you get this these huge kind of vistas and there's like. You look down and there's like seagulls passing, it gives you a massive sense of scale mm. and there's that whistling of emptiness, you know, nothing's blocking the air and it feels like that. And it reminds me almost like you know, there's paintings by artists, like surrealist artists like Dali that are just entertaining to look at. You know, whereas there's other surrealist artists like Dis De Cicerio and Eve Tangai who are like maybe we Google them, but their paintings are very difficult. Mm. to look at, they're, they're quite awkward, they're not stereotypically aesthetically pleasing however, you still 
get something from them that's quite difficult to explain but you don't find them repulsive you don't find them entertaining or joyful they're they're just they are they have something to them you know and i think that's that that's what it reminded me of and i I actually did like it i thought it was i thought it was quite unique it it's hard to blame the player though for coming into Metal gear solid 2 expecting what they were expecting from no precisely if you look if you look back at one i mean that basically said look in in you know, video games terms, we can actually take a full blown movie in some respects and you know present it as a video game. There's an inter- interactive element. Sure, you're going to be watching cutscenes, but you know there it feels like you're part of this environment. That's why I said, remember the Metal Gear show that you know, it felt like you were just a part of Shadow Moses within that environment. You never really left it. You were just there. Um, so coming into two, I think people were just expecting that. You know, and, and the next generation of almost you know presenting how cinema and games could mix together and what they were given at the very start was exactly that yet it was seemingly just taken away and I think that's probably where most people's negative reaction comes from this because until you know some of the latest stuff in that game it does feel like Kojima is just fucking with you and a lot of people I don't think particularly like that you know as I said before it feels like the player is being played um, and that's not an experience you normally get from games um, and it's it's hard to maybe understand certainly when you're going through it the first time exactly where the game is coming from because you're approaching it from seemingly one way and it's doing something completely different and I, and I think once the end comes around a lot of that stuff makes sense but the actual playing of the game I think for seven hours can actually feel quite a chore because you don't know what the hell Kojima is doing or what even he's trying to say to you and I think that maybe is a... Uh, a problem with the game, or maybe a slight problem with the direction of what Kojima is aiming for, because ultimately you need to keep your players slightly engaged. And it is that you know, it's it's sort of it may have all these you know big ideas and philosophical leanings and things like that, but it does also have you know cool sneaking spy stuff and shooting people in the head and bosses and and all the all the video game stuff and all the stuff that one used to expect from a video game in the 80s where Metal Gear has its roots where you played a badass action dude who killed people you know um, and so yeah it's like you know not everyone wants all that extra weird uh, time consuming indulgent stuff in their action video games I guess yeah I think um, the thing that interests me about Big Shell as a setting just sort of jumping back a little bit is you've seen the tanker and that feels like the setting from the first game Mm -hmm. Big Shell feels like something very very different not just in colours and and brightness but for a sneaking game a tactical espionage game um, it it feels like an odd place to have it set and I think they continue that obviously jungle setting Mm -hmm. and then moving into Metal Gear Solid 4 there's the acts are all very, very different from one another, and that's really, really interesting that they've taken the core mechanics and shown that they work in all these different types of settings, not just on a tanker mm. in a in a sort of remote Alaskan base. They have really stretched um, where they can take uh, this type of game, which was good. And that's uh, expanded very much more in mechanical and atmospheric sense in, in the f- three that we'll be covering soon. Obviously, goes yeah. somewhere completely else. Well, what is funny is that you know in my mind I'd kind of completely brought into the AI theory about how this you know, quite essentially could be an entire VR mission which you know basically is corrupted towards the end and and riding kind of 
forges his own path. But listening to all the other stuff that we've talked about, it, it almost feels like it's a combination of the two that clearly, you know, the kernel is, is that, and you could argue many other aspects of the game is that. But it, like, there's, it feels like there's, there's a lot more real parts, certainly with the solid, you know, with, with Snake himself and Otacon and, um, you know, a lot of the events that actually, uh, unfold don't feel like they could have even uh, even begin to take place we you know like a virtual reality sim so it's it's an odd one I'm not even too sure I still yet understand after three hours of conversation with you guys exactly what Metal Gear Solid 2 is I think I understand its meanings but yeah. um, I, th- I think that's the thing though if we talk about um, the Matrix the idea behind that is that the, the most elaborate fiction has to have kernels of truth in it so you know if we have a sort of even if it is a lot of virtual reality it has to be based on some truths so mm-hmm. those have to be kernels of reality that that allow Raiden and anyone else participating in this elaborate hoax um, whether as perpetrator or victim they have to be able to believe what they're seeing around them it's the idea that the Matrix has to be able to simulate pain and, and anguish because otherwise humans just won't buy it and at the end of the day if somebody obviously you know yes you could like Tony said you could or was it Paul? You could argue that some people might feel that they've been missold this game, but uh, there's enough knowledge about it now to know that if you don't want a game with all this kind of stuff going off and you just want a game where you get to do the cool badass things, there's plenty of others out there. Um, and this, you know, games like this remain in the minority. Some would say for good. Um, but in terms of you know how much there is to talk about, you know we're running extremely long again. I think we knew we would with this game, mm-hmm. and uh, you know there's more to say. We did one hour twenty six minutes on Bulletstorm last week. I didn't like it. The others did, but there's just not as much to say about a game like that. I think they were mis- maybe misfelt that they were missold it, but they weren't sold a, a steaming pile of poo. Do you know what I mean, it's still a, a, a some people feel they were interesting <laughs> game. <laughs> Well, some people. <laughs> some people. I feel uh, sorry for some people. Ah, uh, well. Okay. But but that's the thing. <laughs> You're sold a game made by a creator, and it's the creator's vision, and it's exactly it's, it's See, their that, that, choice as to what they're going to produce. And I, if you don't I like it, it's fine. But. I can cover that totally, utterly. That I am on a, a journey created by Kojima, yeah. and his games aren't predictable, and I love things that aren't predictable. Yeah. You know, and if two was predictable, I dare say it would be a thoroughly competent game. But it would be just that, and I think he went beyond, maybe too far beyond. But he's not predictable. He takes you places and he throws curveballs at you. And no matter how bizarre it gets, there's always something that interests me there, and that's what I like about him. Yeah, uh, we should, as we are running very long, share. Uh, we've had some fantastic uh, comments in from the forum and I'd like to share them and also some excellent three word reviews so <clears throat> bear with me but feel free to chime in uh, at the end of each one if you have anything to say about what our contributors say so first up is the Sonic Mole he says I got this game bundled with my PS2 having not played the first game this just felt inaccessible to me the cutscenes were just gibberish and the characters hard to warm to without prior knowledge of their roles in proceedings I've since played the first game, which holds up really well, and look forward to giving this another go at some point. Maybe maybe if the Sonic Mole, I know he does listen, maybe if he listens into this show, obviously we've spoilt the whole thing, but I think, you know, I, I know a lot of people have said that after listening to us spoiling things, they've actually been motivated to go back and see them for themselves, so enjoy it if you do. Yeah, he's got brilliant taste in games anyway, so I'm sure you'll, I'm sure you'll like it. <laughs> Andy Kurosaki says this for me is the weakest game 
in inverted commas, in the M- MGS series. It's not a bad game, but it doesn't hold a candle to either M- MGS1 or Snake Eater. I didn't mind the whole you're not playing a snake thing, but Jack is a bit of a whiny prick. I don't like killing people, he more or less says to Rose, yet due to my dodgy skills, I snapped necks left, right and centre. The codec conversations Raiden has with the Colonel remain one of my favourite gaming moments, but the underwater swimming sections soon get annoying. And the plot? Jesus Christ Almighty, once the Patriots kick off, it becomes a complete load of bollocks. The first time around, young teen me couldn't understand what the fuck it was babbling about. Then, age 32, this year, I reached the end and still felt utterly bewildered. It was nonsensical enough that Liquid somehow managed to possess Ocelot with a possessed arm, but once the Patriots' plan is revealed, all sense goes flying out of the window. And to top it all, the end credits feature a truly awful song I wouldn't inflict on my worst enemy. (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, you can switch off this podcast about three minutes early then. Still, the boss fights were pretty good, and it's certainly a fun game in places. It had a lot to live up to after the incredible Metal Gear Solid one, and it didn't quite pull it off. Still worth a playthrough, though. That's an incredibly reasoned review, isn't it? That was spot on. Yeah, I thought so. Incredibly succinct. Pit War. He says, the weakest of the four solid games, but strangely the one I've played through the mo- uh, more times than the others. Part of the reason for this is that I never truly got the story on the first playthrough, so I had to give it another couple of goes to work it out. Still a great game, though, and I never really minded having to play as Raiden. I got what they were trying to do by showing us how Snake was a badass through somebody else's eyes. Delby 2K MGS2 holds a special place in my heart, as it was the first game I got my PlayStation 2 for. I remember sitting down with a console and game, but without a memory card due to late delivery... I was so desperate to play it that I just went stuff it and on 1pm on a Sunday I put it into the PS2 disk drive. Around 5am the next morning I saw the credits roll. I still think it's a very strong release. Mechanically it's actually not hugely different from the PlayStation 1 title. A few additions in terms of viewpoint and added close quarters combat but the nuts and bolts remain around sneaking and hiding, sneaking, hiding and traversing with the minimum of disruption. It gives the player a few more options but the only real difference is the setting. What I did really like was the story. The script now is probably all over the place, but the enjoyment I had with every twist and turn was fantastic, especially at the end, where a huge amount of confusion was thrown at the player and revelation upon revelation was chucked your way. It never has the same emotional hit as the previous game, or indeed any of the following, but as something that simply played with gamers' heads, I thought it was superb. Alongside that, I really quite like the bosses. Again, nowhere near as emotionally resonant, but interesting enough to be more than simply throwaway. I never had an issue with the change of the main character or with the environment switching and the blandness of Big Shell and really enjoyed my time with the title. Looking at the series as a whole, this is the weakest for me, but boy, it was still tremendous fun to play. Uh, So yeah, there's a theme recurring here. Magic Joe F. I think I like Metal Gear Solid 2 more now than I did back when I first played it. At the time, I felt the plot was a bit of a cop-out and the similarities to the first game were a little lazy. I did enjoy the new features like shooting in first-person view and being able to hold up guards, but this didn't feel quite enough considering the hype surrounding the release. However, since then, I've learned to appreciate the similarities because I can go back and get an MGS fix without having to go back to PlayStation 1-era polygons and can now even play the HD version. The standout moment in the game for me was when the uh, colonel went haywire. I was playing really late at night and it was wonderfully weird creepy. Finally, Demon J... Metal Gear Solid 2 was one of my most memorable PlayStation 2 games. Okay, I didn't understand the story fully for the first two playthroughs, but that was what the internet was for. 
and forums such as this. It holds up in the memory because the story doesn't hold your hand, it doesn't cater to everyone, it's a game that doesn't want to change for the mass market, it is what it is, and that's why the Metal Gear Solid universe is unrivaled in storytelling. And uh, a fact is that Metal Gear Solid 2 is the, the best-selling Metal Gear Solid game. Or Metal oh, Gear no game. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh, because of all the hype and stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah it's got to be the hype. Out. I mean, the, the, that, the trailer uh, in the cinema was the first time I really heard of Metal Gear uh, in, in any way, shape or form. And, and the uh, fact that I was... Sorry, James. No, I was just going to say the fact that I was sitting in a cinema watching film after film with that trailer on in front of it just showed how much awareness there was, I think, in um, just almost mainstream awareness. And also, of course, this is one of the highest scoring games reviews-wise of all time. Now, make of that what you will, because I think, you know, sometimes review scores are not to be trusted but in terms of the impression it must have had on potential purchasers the fact that it's uh, sitting on a 96% Metacritic score which I think puts it in the sort of top three PlayStation 2 games and the top sort of 10 games of all time in terms of pure review scores even though actually you know how we've talked about that game that seems a bit crazy because it is a bit you know it is a bit all over the place but that certainly will have had an effect on on bias, but it is one of those games that you think was probably reviewed more in terms of hype than it was in terms of actual quality. It's like many people have already commented. To me, it's probably the weakest in from all four games. Mm. Well, you know, take away the the PSP titles and etc. Um, yet, strangely, it's probably the most interesting because that you know we've had this massive conversation about you know is it real? Is it not real? Uh, all these characters intertwining and I. I Although it, you know, I think that all the other games are a lot more emotional, impacting or resonant with me. Um, I just I think this is the, probably the most interesting one to deconstruct down to its its various bones. Although maybe we're we're fine before that wasn't the case, but it's a very interesting title. But it's not my. It, I think it does sit at the bottom of the, the pile for me. Mm. Well, I still have uh, three and four to experience, but uh, well, yeah, I've never tried three, so mm. we're we're now going into uncharted territory for <laughs> three next next time finish up before the actual uh, roundup uh, we'll do our Kane Rinse three word reviews apologies to some people who supplied three word reviews last show and possibly before that uh, we and we missed them I blame Twitter yeah I think sometimes the hashtag thing on Twitter doesn't entirely work and doesn't we don't catch every single one that comes through yeah. and if you do it earlier in the week sometimes they get lost but we use pretty yeah. much everyone we see unless it's uh, one of the, the forbidden ones such as uh, Leon is Leon. no no we included that one no I was <laughs> thinking more like the uh, uh, the um, overrated as fuck or you know never, played, never it. played it that's the other one yes okay well we'll start with Blue Swell now Blue Swell is, uh, is, is a dude on Twitter who uh, I'm surprised at this I'm surprised at this from you Blue Swell um, but you did supply this like three weeks ago because you were so desperate to say it. <laughs> but he has said worst game ever. It's not, is it? Okay. Have you? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <really>. <laughs> no. Well, you can't tell people what they they can and can't. Like. I, I can course. understand the reasons probably why it would have rubbed up the wrong way if you weren't. Have you it, played Mortal Kombat Mythologies Sub Zero <laughs> on the N64? Have you have played, played Jumper? Have you played yeah. Superman 64? Have you played ET? Have you played ET? No, but I want to. Oh, so no, you everyone don't. says, have you played no, ET? <laughs> anyway, so Avant Gardner, uh, unpopular, my favourite. Dastardly Jabby says, ball shriveling dialogue. <laughs> and that's uh, quoted sick. 
Curl st- definitely dialogue. Dialogue is Curl stream extremely boring setting. Markatansky needs more sword. He liked the sword. I didn't like the sword. Uh, Digital Gonzo, good uh, good friend of all of us. Uh, Kojima entertaining himself. Sif seventy nine says, "What's going on?" Dave UK eighty two, O two, best music ever. Uh, Walnut Soap says, "Too much riding." Tim Butterly, and I hope that is his real name, says, uh, "Wait, what? Oh." <laughs> Rock Stepper says. You're a man? (laughs) Fury AC3 says, You're a man? (laughs) Jerome Jerome McKee or Mackay says, Not for me. Grr snort. Bizarre presidential groping. (laughs) Bizarre presidential groping. Uh, our very own Combine Hunter, Josh, says, Shut up, Rose. Yeah, I, Although he shouted that. I, think I don't was... normally uh, let uh, members of the team have three-word reviews because, it, firstly, it makes us sound a bit desperate and, secondly, they get plenty of <laughs> plenty of space to speak their mind, but I thought I'd make an exception for that. And, arguably, this one from our very own J70, who's a big Metal Gear fan. Uh, he says, Benchmark setting precedent. Ryan Ashley says, Ageless... Ageless visual flick. And uh, Rich Hoyle 24 says poorest in series. That's a sentiment echoed through some of the forum posts yep. as well. Indeed. Well, that was Metal Gear Solid 2 then. Uh, can we possibly run longer, longer, longer on Metal Gear Solid 3? Well, you'll find out in a month. But between now and then, you can get busy playing along with Kane and Rince. Uh, we uh, were requested to name more games that we were going to be covering in advance. So you asked for it, you're going to get it. <laughs> Future featured games will include, if you want to play along with us, without spoilers, Vessel and Dear Esther, Fallout 3, that ought to keep you busy. Uh, we're doing a special revisit of the Battlefield 3 multiplayer, and uh, David Elmo Turners from the Joypod podcast will be joining us for that one. And I should say as well, of course, uh, Jay Taylor will be making a return for that one as well. So two reasons to tune in, and I'll be on it, and one reason to tune out. Uh, after that, Left 4 Dead and Left 4 Dead 2, that's in one show. Ratchet & Clank Future, A Crack in Time. Metal Gear Solid 3, Solid Snake, obviously. Lost Winds and Lost Winds 2, Winter of the Melodias. That's one show. No More Heroes. Ghost Trick, Phantom Detective. After that, Kirby's Epic Yarn, finally. After that, it's Metal Gear Solid 4, Guns of the Patriots. And then we're going to do a show on the Rhythm Heaven, or Tengoku series. And we're going to do a show on Max Payne and Max Payne 2, The Fall of Max Payne. Surely that's enough to keep you busy. Yeah, that'll take you to August. Yeah. So, <laughs> get playing. But um, I, I think what we're going to try to do is put that up on the blog. Um, yes, I'm going to do that so, tomorrow. Yeah. So people can take a look at it, uh, know what we're going to be playing in advance, and you know, either play along with the show, which is always fun, or, or pick one or two games in particular if they haven't played or just want to revisit. And mm. It's a good way of, uh, to do the free, re- free word reviews and, and get some of your emails and, and for- forum participation. So. But what we would ask is, if you do like generally Kane and Rince, uh, but you don't listen to every show, that's fine, but don't unsubscribe. 
the weeks that you don't want to listen. Just download it anyway. It's good for us if you do, and you can just delete it. <laughs> but we yeah. still get a download figure that way, so cheers. <laughs> Your support for the show via iTunes subscriptions, ratings, reviews are always greatly appreciated. Indeed they are. And another thing that would be greatly appreciated if we were honest would be... Uh, you may or may not be aware that the Games Media Awards are, are upon us once again. They're currently looking for nominations. If you wanted to take the time out of your day to tell the Games Media Awards that you like what we do on this podcast, uh, you could email them at gma at intentmedia.co.uk. No pressure, just saying. <laughs> Our blog is at canandrince.com. Uh, we are part of the Character Select Network at characterselect.net slash forum you can follow our twitter account which is at Kane and Rince like us on facebook and email us at caneandrince at gmail.com well thank you very much everybody I've had a terrific time yeah I just uh, quickly want to say that uh, that's been three Metal Gear shows for me and uh, it seems like an appropriate time to take a break um, so thank you very much for having me on felt like a bit of, uh, a bit of an inter- interloper being a, a sort of newcomer to the series with so many Metal Gear fans, so it's good having someone's uh, someone's new opinion that hasn't actually played the game, and I like that when someone has hasn't played a, a you know a classic title and comes yeah, fresh absolutely. and puts everything in context. Yeah. But yeah, we got um, so it'll be uh, Josh and Darren Gargett on for the Metal Gear Solid Three show. Yeah, and Paul and Paul will be back hopefully, and uh, it'll be Sean and uh, Carl on Metal Gear Solid Four, and Paul returning once more. Um, we've yet to decide about Peace Walker, but that will happen too. So, indeed, uh, it remains for me, Leon Cox, to thank Tony Atkins and James Carter and Ready Ups. Go and check out his Akai Katana review, Paul Rooney. Cheers, Paul. And we'll leave you with an atrocious song that we wouldn't wish on our worst enemy.
Peace not war and dreams that 